The Cultists present Cinema of Cruelty. And today on the Cinema of Cruelty, we ask the question, have you ever experienced delusions of grandeur? Once fueled by that ravenous desire where all you want is to be seen, validated, followed? But just how far would you go for the eyes of strangers to land on you? Would you kill for it? Die for it? What about drive around the matrix of the Los Angeles streets during rush hour for it? Well, let's find out. Because today we are drinking in the 2020 dark social media satire, Spree. So sit back, pick your poison, and set all your video feeds to stream as we chase down the tragic message of this wild ride of a medium. Brought to you by Killing for the Bues, Massacring Your Way to the Top, The Downside of Rideshares, The Pure Charisma of Joe Keery, The Pure Anti-Charisma of Elliot Rogers, The Archival Commitment of 4chan, and Marshall McLuhan playing it hot and cold. And of course, the safe word today is lovable. Anything to add, Benji? Hey guys, what's up? Just want to remind you, we are on Twitter and Instagram. Cinema of Cruelty, visit us on Reddit at Cinema of Cruelty subreddit. Be sure to check us out or I'll fucking kill you all. Follow for follow. <laughs> You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of space. <laughs> Boy. Sometimes I doubt your commitment to sparkle motion. Manja! I see you shiver with anticipation. Oh my god! Disappointed! Jesus. Wet. Oh, hi, Mark. What's up, Benji? Uh, hey, London. Hey. Well, I have never felt more guilty about asking for a social media follow than I have starting this one out. Yeah, this film hits a little close to home, doesn't it? I know, right? <laughs> a little bit. Well, we're not social media whores too much. We're podcasting whores and attention whores, but that doesn't really creep down to social media. No, more just that we're not very good with social media. We don't really understand social media, and <laughs> we're putting out content, and we just want people to love us, you know? Is it so much to love us? It, me, anyway. I understand hating London. That makes sense. Yeah, the people that I was watching this with, they knew I was watching it for this podcast, and at one point, one of them turned to me and just said, so how many self-deprecating references and jokes are you going to make while talking about this movie? And I was like, probably a lot. So many. Probably a lot. So many. <laughs> so this movie, yes, this movie, Spree, is a very recent one on the docket here. 2020 yeah. just came out featuring Stranger Things' Joe Keery. So babysitter Steve Harrington. It didn't occur to me that he's Steve from Stranger Things for about the first five minutes of this movie. I think solely because his hair is different. You take away Steve's hair, he's not Steve anymore. He's just some <laughs> guy. Oh, see, I was very aware that this was Steve from Stranger Things because that is, at first, the only reason why I purchased this movie initially <laughs> was because I was like, oh, it's Steve from Stranger Things. Oh, I like Steve's that guy. Steve's doing other Let's things. See Good for him. what he does with this strange American psycho in an Uber role. 
And I was not expecting this movie to be any good. I was just expecting to watch it for the sake of Joe Keery. And I was pleasantly surprised, as I believe you were as well, because this movie is super fun. It is a crazy amount of fun. Watching this the first time, I'm really glad I went in knowing as little as I could about this film, because not knowing anything about where this movie was going to go from the very start of it was a delightful viewing experience. I see, and I did not mind one way or the other knowing where the plot was going to go or not, because I never care about plot (laughs) (laughs) in films. I didn't care about this one either, and that's not a bad thing. That's just me. But the camera work in this and the lighting in this and just the sheer charisma that Joe Keery brings to this role was worth it all the way through. So lightning summary first for this film, and then we'll get into talking about it. We have, with this film, little Joe Keery, as mentioned, he's going to play a dude named Kurt. And Kurt has been producing streaming content for a decade, since high school. He just wants to be watched and followed and adored and validated. And he doesn't get any of those things because people just don't like him. And so, yeah, he decides that the way of getting followers and viewers, finally, is to embark on a killing spree. Hey, that's the name of the show. Across Los Angeles for a day. Yeah, and spree is also going to be the name of the copyright workaround for (laughs) Uber in this world. So he is a spree driver who is going to go on a spree kill. So Not an Uber kill, but a spree kill. Yeah. Very important distinction. But it's really great that the spree driver is going on a spree kill. I see what they did there, and I like what they did there. I like pretty much everything about this movie, actually. Props to whoever did the graphics for all of this for creating, one, a very believable name for a ride-sharing service, and just believable graphics for everything that we see on the phones in this movie. That's something that's often overlooked in films. Yeah, no, the technical components of this film was initially why we selected to do this film for the cast, because we hadn't done a very technical film in a little while. I mean, unless you count the astrologer, (laughs) which is doing some technical things. It is making some technical decisions, but this is a different kind of technical stuff. We haven't given you a platform to talk about cameras for a while. The astrologer technically was a movie. It was. Technically speaking. Yeah. No, there was a lot going on here camera wise that was fascinating to watch. And this is a found footage film and it's true found footage, man. As in, every shot in this movie makes sense from where it is coming from and how we get it. And even the editing makes sense when you understand what the in-universe explanation for the movie is. Suddenly, all the editing comes together. And that's just so rare. Yeah, and I also mentioned on the Blair Witch Project about how much I generally hate found footage films. And not because I don't respect found footage films, but... So I don't hate found footage films. I hate watching found footage films generally because usually found footage is synonymous with a complete lack of steady cam and thus motion sickness. And it's just this crazy, unwatchable mess to me usually. This film is going to circumvent all of that in a really great way because almost all of the cameras in this are 
steady. They're mm-hmm. anchored into yeah. the actual car that we're going to drive around in, or they're going to be on laptop screens and mm-hmm. all of these things that create just a steady balance. And then even the people who are using IG videos handheld are doing a really great job of framing themselves and keeping it fairly steady even among the motion. And a lot of that is going to be because of who they cast to actually be in this movie and film themselves with their cameras. And I will get into that a little bit as we go along and encounter those people. So best thing about this movie, is that it for you or is there something else? I guess you could say that, that it's a true found footage film, like I said, and it just makes sense. In-universe, it makes perfect sense why everything looks this way. There are so many other found footage movies out there where the image quality is wrong, where you're having kids who should be looking at something through a GoPro or through a phone, and it's clearly footage filmed with an Ari Alexa high-class digital camera. The image should not look that way. Here, they commit to the reality. Every angle and every shot that we get in this film is made with the camera that would have done it in real life. And yet at the same time, everything is very high def and very sharp. And so there's none of that lagging quality or blurring. It works because the technology is finally caught up. Yeah. Well, there's one moment where they do sort of substitute a Sony camera for what is supposed to be a stand-in streaming cam and we can point that out but at the same time they did actually affix the camera in a streaming cam way Mm -hmm. it's just that they had to custom job that so technically a streamer could do it if they wanted to Mm -hmm. but yeah the best thing for me also just the construction how this movie is composited and comes together but that is tied with joe keery in this film (laughs) is so endearing i cannot Mm -hmm underscore that enough he just makes this movie for me he makes this watchable all the way through what is the worst thing i think that there's a backlash to this film because adults i think anyone over maybe my age and up has a natural disdain for streamer culture or the culture that this movie is taking itself from and any exposure to that is upsetting to some critics, and so they won't really grade this movie on its merits, more just on the fact that it's making them have to think about Twitch streamers or YouTubers or influencers. There's just a a hatred against that realm for a lot of people, Gen Xers in that to some degree. Yeah, there are certain types of subjects that when looked at in films are just surface value going to be rejected by a lot of people who want cinema as art and don't Mm -hmm. think that you can make art about the satire of streaming culture. I did look up a lot of reviews for this, both professional critics and then just general audience watchers. The thing that was very interesting to me was how polarizing this movie is. So once again, we have a film that people tend to either love or hate. What are the odds? Yeah, in a very Spring Breakers way kind of way Mm -hmm. where... We had people that saw this as a really great satire and critique and seemed to get what it was doing on a satirical level. Mm -hmm. And then there were other people that did seem to reject what they saw as a very shallow premise. The interesting thing about a lot of the general IMDb reviews that weren't the professional reviews 
is that a lot of the one star or one out of 10 ratings had some complaint about the quote unquote over wokeness of this film. That uh, that was a word that came no. up a lot. That if you can get past the liberal wokeness of this film, then, you know, it's still trash or whatever. Good and Lord. so it did seem like a lot of the people, not necessarily everybody, but a lot of the people who did not like this film felt possibly a little personally attacked by this film, maybe. That maybe they saw themselves a little bit too much in our Kurt character and did not uh, like that he is not the hero or okay. that because it is interesting that and we'll get into this as we go through the film that it's a pretty ambivalent movie all around in terms of ideology and politics and so for as much as there are moments that seem to paint certain ideologies as villains that deserve to die the opposite end of the spectrum, both ideology and politically, are also victims that are posited as people that we want to see die. So it actually is taken from both sides. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting choice. There's also this thing that's created in this film and its ambivalence because it is heavily based off of one particular individual uh, who actually yeah. was a spree killer in California. And there are a lot of little details that get worked in from this person, Elliot Rogers' personal life in the weirdest of ways. And so for me, this gets into my worst thing is that I experience the ambivalence of this movie and that I know it's heavily based off of and inspired by the Elliot Rogers spree killings. And that dude, if you watch his videos, is just a anti-charisma vortex that just, it's where charisma goes to die. Mm -hmm. Like You watch him and you're like, holy shit, dude. I see why nobody's watching your videos. I see why nobody wants to have sex with you because you are just, uh, I don't know, there's just something about it that yeah. just collapses in on itself like a black hole. I normally just, jerk away from being thankful for a thing that you have done, but I am very thankful that you handled the research into Elliot Rogers. Yeah, I will be covering Elliot Rogers. That was a curious deep dive. And I didn't have to look into that at all. London did all that. Hooray! Yeah, I went on some deep, deep dives, and there's some interesting stuff there, so we'll, we'll get into it. But it's weird because Joe Curie is so charismatic. Mm -hmm. Even though this film is doing everything, and in the director's commentary, so I also watched this with director's commentary, and the director keeps stressing, yeah, we put this here because we really wanted to make sure that nobody was identifying with Kurt as our hero, right? He's our monster. Like, we mm -hmm. want him to die. I'm like, do we, though? Because he's so charismatic. <laughs> and so the fact that I was still hedging onto Kurt's side just because of Joe Keery's sheer charisma put me in a weird, ambivalent place because I was like, this movie <laughs> is making me in some sort of circumvented way, in some small part, identify with Elliot Rogers. <laughs> like, I don't know what to do with that. So, yeah, very strange ambivalence all around. For me, personally, by the end of it, yeah, I completely recognize this character as a total sociopathic monster. I don't really know what the correct term would be, and I don't like to apply those terms if I haven't really looked into it, but I feel like people would snatch terms like sociopath, psychopath, narcissist, and they would probably apply them to this guy. But I will admit, for most of the film, you're like, well, you know, tell me about what's going on, man. Yeah, what's up, buddy? What's up, Kurt? What is your deal, Kurt? What led us here? I don't know why you don't get any viewers, Kurt. I would yeah. watch you all day. Yeah. Joe makes the antiviral videos. 
And I would watch them because he's so <laughs> endearing. And that's weird to me. That's super weird. So let's go ahead and get into this movie. I'd like to start with this quote I found from director Eugene Karienko. Yeah, what you just said. I watched a bunch of interviews with this dude. I heard him pronounce his name a lot. Okay, yeah. But at the 2020 Sundance screen of this thing afterwards, he says, One of the most delusional flaws of the attention economy, quote unquote, is that maybe 10 years ago, we all decided that sharing our lives and everything is a moral good. No matter what we share, there's something inherently good about that. Seeing that devolve beyond banality into evil is partly, I think, the insight of this film. Yeah, I like that. That's why we're going to start a movie the way all movies should start, with 9-11. Well, we're going to start by talking about 9-11, because we meet our boy Kurt, played by Stranger Things' Steve Jokiri. And one of the very first things he chooses to tell us is that when he was five years old, he can remember 9-11 and how his dad was looking really tired and sad. His mom was crying. The telling thing in this is that he says, that was such a big event. That's an event that no one could ever forget, whether it was real or fake. Joe, wait a minute, buddy. Are you confused? Do you not? Are there 9-11 deniers out there that don't think that 9-11 happened? Well, there's always that the camp of the conspiracy theorists that say 9-11 was an inside job or that it was a fixed thing, that the government did it or that those weren't planes, they were missiles and the actual passengers are hidden away somewhere else. You know, loose change is the popular YouTube conspiracy video for that. But no, I've never heard about anyone who just said, no, that was all CGI, man. Those buildings didn't really fall down. They were discreetly dismantled. You know, uh, while we weren't looking or something like that. I was going to say, I'm a New Yorker by origin. I was in New York during the the 9-11 stuff. There were two towers at one point. There are no longer two towers. That's all I can tell you is that, yeah, they are legitimately not there anymore. So not like if you're not already believing the fact that 9-11 happened, I don't know how I'm going to convince you differently. But yeah, technically, no more buildings. They're not there anymore. So. Kurt here, he is a man who lives through this medium that is YouTube. And you may have noticed the subtitle of this episode, The Medium is the Massacre. That phrase might sound a little familiar. Not the massacre part, but the medium is the blank. In this case, the original term is The Medium is the Message. And this is the most famous quote attributed to philosopher, media analyzer, and also professor of English at the University of Toronto, Professor Marshall McLuhan. He is basically saying that the experience of a medium, of watching movies, of watching television, of having a telephone, is something that is going to affect you far more than any individual experience with it will. I actually have a clip of him speaking in Australia back in 1977. You see, it doesn't much matter what you say on the telephone. The telephone as a service is a huge environment, and that is the medium. And the environment affects everybody. What you say on the telephone affects very few. And the same with radio or any other medium. What you print is nothing compared to the effect of the printed word. The printed word sets up a paradigm, a structure of awareness, which affects everybody in very, very drastic ways. And it doesn't very much matter what you print as long as you go on with that form of activity. I was thinking about that a lot while watching this because I began to think about the effect that the streaming and social media has had on Kurt as he grows up. 
And applying this logic to Kurt, that the experience of the medium is far more effective and going to have a bigger impact on his life than any individual video or Instagram post that he makes or observes will ever will, we have to assume that a childhood spent with the medium of streaming video and watching other people become famous has had a bigger overall impact on him than any single video ever could. And so in 10 years, in this medium of posting videos, and I say the medium of posting videos, medium going by Marshall McLuhan's definition of the word, which, as I learned, was very vast, very flexible. He called cars a medium. He called the road a medium. It's the big source of a lot of criticism of Marshall McLuhan that he seemed to just use the word medium to describe anything that you could observe. But having said that, this medium of posting videos is further pushed Kurt to the state that he is in at the very start of this film, which is a state of desperately needing validation through other people's opinions and through their own views. Yes, here we have little Kurt. And Kurt has grown up in a world mediated by screens, but a very specific type of screen in which if you are seen on the screen, that is what matters to existing. It's sort of like To Die For, which is another fabulous movie about McLuhan styles of media messages where you're not anybody in America unless you're on TV. That's Nicole Kidman's infamous mm. quote from that movie. Okay. And we have that here, but it's no longer TV or movies. It's a very specific type of screen that he wants to be on. He doesn't want to be on the news. Right? He wants to be on YouTube. He wants to be on Vine. If this was a little bit more modern, technically this came out in 2020, but it's sort of written and produced a little bit before TikTok culture. So sure. this is still a lot of the people in this are going to be pulled from Vine instead. But he wants to be on the streaming channels that he sees as the medium through which he is most validated. That is all that matters to his existence. And he's not being seen on those. He's being seen in person, but that doesn't matter. And his videos, oh my God, his videos <laughs> are amazing. So we only get snippets of them in the actual film. On the DVD and the Blu-ray, there are special features where they have included for us all of the full-length <laughs> oh, versions of those videos. And they're all great. I, I watched all of them. <laughs> It's a good hour worth of content, and these videos were apparently done as a preliminary pre-production exercise where he met with the director, and the two of them just worked out these little mostly improv skits of him doing these videos to really hone the character that Kurt was going to be, and then they ended up taking snippets of these. Some of the highlights that we get from his life is we get the introduction of Kurt's world. So that's what Kurt calls his life <laughs> and his streaming channel is Kurt's world. Kurt's world 96. The beginning of this starts with a whiteboard where he is drawing little pictures of his life. The full video of this is about 18 minutes long that they we just get snippets of in the actual movie. But we learn a lot about Kurt and his background in terms of being born to these two parents that then divorced and he's sad about it. And he has these friends in elementary school. But then he did something weird one day where he was trying to play a game on the playground and that one mistake cost him friends for the rest of his time in school, so he doesn't have a lot of friends in person. He also sets up that he's from LA initially. He was born in LA, but then pretty quickly his parents moved to Azusa because 
it was cheaper. But it's really important to him that he has this L.A.-based identity, right? That he was born in L.A., but grew up in Azusa. They actually did go out to Azusa to film all of these outdoor exterior shots. Oh. So you will be at a Starbucks in Azusa. And one of my favorite things <laughs> about the Starbucks is that he goes there. He has in front of him this big Starbucks cup. It has his name on it. It's turned to the camera, and his name is spelled wrong. Starbucks has spelled his name wrong. They spell it with a C instead of a K. And that's totally understandable and fine, but it's hilarious because here he's trying to build his Kurtz World brand, and he will talk about branding throughout this entire movie. And yet, here he is on his stream with his name spelled wrong in the frame. Amazing little detail. My personal conspiracy on that, why Starbucks misspells so many names, that's just free viral marketing for them because they know people are going to post about it on social media. If they spell the name wrong. How often do you see people on social media? They're like, oh, look at how much the Starbucks, they fucked up my thing. And that's just a little reminder. Like, yeah, Starbucks is the thing. Man, I could go for some coffee right now. Yeah, this is also a specific comedic-ish tongue-in-cheek moment to the Elliot Rogers videos. But we'll put a pin in that because I will get there in a second. Yeah, boy. He also has a video where he shows us his room. He's like, hey, guys, this is my room. (laughs) I've put a lot of work into it. It's really important to have a space that feels like yours, guys. And he takes us around his tiny little room that just has a mattress on the floor and his posters on the wall. It's a very generic young adult teen boy's room. And Joe Keery is nailing this character in terms of this very awkward anti-charisma, but still actually being charismatic, (laughs) pointing to his mattress on the floor. And this is where the magic happens. No, I'm just kidding. I just sleep here. (laughs) All of this stuff. (laughs) He has a video where he's trying Thai iced tea for the first time with his dad. He has an unboxing video. So he's all over the place, right? He's doing reviews. He's doing room shares. He's doing gaming videos. He's doing the unboxing video. This one was one of my favorites because he's unboxing a pair of shoes and they're so sick. He's like, these are my so sick shoes. These are my Jordans. Well, actually, they're champions. I mean, I'll probably return them, but they're so sick. (laughs) I really, I really like them because of of how they seem. Yeah, that was one of two things I pulled because they're the best lines to me was the sneaker thing. And then he also has a comment about vaping that I have here. Yes. What I like about these right off the bat is that is how they seem. <laughs> the mouthfeel on this, otherworldly. So when he says mouthfeel, he's reviewing a vaping pen, or I guess, is he talking about the vape pen or the smoke itself? Okay, so mouthfeel. Tell me about mouthfeel. Deep dive mouthfeel, yes, he's in this little vaping video. And once again, these are improv mostly by Joe Curry, but one of the notes that the director gave him for this one was, make sure you include the word mouthfeel. So the mouthfeel is a very <laughs> deliberate choice. We need to talk about the mouthfeel, London. Yes, why aren't we talking about the mouthfeel? So we're going to talk about the mouthfeel. Well, it started out as a term in wine tasting, and then foodies took a hold of it. Vape and e-liquid reviews do use mouthfeel a ton circa 2015 through 2017. I found a lot of vape 
forums that use the term mouthfeel. And those dates are important, 2015 through 2017. And it seems like it maybe started to take on a slightly pretentious air. Like, mm-hmm. oh, God, what the mouthfeel. Well, I mean, come on. A term like that, how could it not take on a pretentious About feel? About the, yeah, the feel of the smoke and the flavor in your mouth. And then in 2018, the YouTuber ContraPoints. ContraPoints, a.k.a. Natalie Wynn. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. when I saw that in your notes, I thought, hey, I've heard of this YouTuber. I know this person. I love <laughs> her funny videos. YouTuber I know, yes. So ContraPoints, Natalie Wynn, uploaded a video in which she uses the term mouthfeel. When trans women are taking estrogen, there's a difference that happens in the body. So mm-hmm. she talks in her videos about how the female penis has like a different mouthfeel. Like it's smoother and it doesn't get as hard and it doesn't ejaculate. And that's actually like a really interesting thing in terms of just like the body is very interesting. Mm-hmm. So there's this idea of why aren't we talking more about the mouthfeel and about the ways in which people experience their bodies and sexuality. And it became a meme <laughs> that took over the internet on like, why aren't we talking about the mouthfeel? Yeah, I follow her on YouTube and I'm pretty sure there was a video or two after this one came out that, where she says, guys, did did I reclaim mouthfeel? I feel like I reclaim mouthfeel somehow for us. It's I don't know what to make of that. Yeah, so mouthfeel after 2018 becomes inseparable from ContraPoints videos and the idea of it being genitally related. It's a fun term. It's really fun to hear Steve just say, they call me Mr. Mouthfeel for a reason. That's in one of the outtakes of his other review, because I think we get the, it's all about the mouthfeel, but then later in the extended, they call me Mr. Mouthfeel for a reason. I was like, oh my god, that's hilarious. Oh, delightful. Yeah, one of the people that I was watching this with or showed it to, she heard the mouthfeel thing and she cracked up and she's like, that has to be a counterpoints reference, right? I don't know, but it's the same time. It lines up. They had a social media consultant on this movie. Like, it's got to be a interesting way of really setting up how out of touch he is with the medium that he's trying to be a part of as this internet social media culture. We also get Further in his videos, this idea that he's a babysitter. So that was fun <laughs> because babysitter Steve from Stranger Things uh, is a babysitter in this too. Yeah. So I'm already trying not to see him as babysitter Steve. And then he's like, I'm a babysitter mm-hmm. and I still am really close with the kid I used to babysit. And puts a little dark tinge on the Steve-Dustin relationship. Uh, it's it's not as whimsical a friendship as... <laughs> As a Stranger Things. He also, he games. And when he's gaming, oh God, it's just like encapsulates Kurt as a person for me because he's trying to give back some trash talk of sorts. And he's like, I'm going to... I'm going to fuck I'm going to fuck you so hard and then he realizes that his door is open and his mom is downstairs so he goes and he sort of just shuts the door real quick and then he sits back down and he's like I'm going to fuck you so hard After the divorce mom was really upset so I decided to stay home with her and be a good son and I don't know how it happened but one thing led to another and I started really getting into online gaming I'm going to fuck you ho- so I'm going to fuck you so hard It's odd to me that he says I don't know how it happened, but 
Somehow I got into online gaming. I just slipped and fell onto that online oh, no. gaming Oh no, I'm online gaming now. How did that happen? That's not really an accident. But little Kurt, it's kind of like when he uses mouthfeel, like the phraseology of I'm going to fuck you so hard. And he can't even quite seem to nail that line, that line read on purpose, right? But it's just, I don't know, it's so great. It's like the things that he says are just a little bit wrong, a little bit off from what he's intending to mean. So great. Then we meet Kurt's dad. And Kurt's dad is played by David Arquette, which is kind of fun just to see him on screen. He is wearing bedazzled shirts (laughs) and logo hats. And he, when we first see him on Kurt's stream, is mixing up a quote-unquote dope track. So we get the sense that Kurt's dad is like Kurt in some ways, where he really wants to be cool. He wants to be seen as cool, Mm -hmm. and he wants to be validated for that in some way. Little Kurt has had hats printed up with Kurt's World logo on it, and he's trying to get his dad to put one on, and his dad is clearly not into it. So his dad would prefer to seem cool rather than support his son, and so that sets up an interesting dynamic right there. But initially, when the director brought David Arquette on, he was trying to explain to him, okay, your life is basically just as cringy as your son's. We really want to just create this cringe compilation. And he had to explain to David Arquette what a cringe compilation was as people trying so hard to be relevant, even though it's painfully obvious that it's language and ideas and actions that don't come naturally to them. And then David Arquette's response, according to the director in an interview, was, oh my God, I think my whole life has been a cringe compilation. (laughs) Well, you know what? I could tell a story I know about David Arquette that really supports this theory. Because David Arquette was part of the dumbest thing to ever happen in professional wrestling that I know of. Mind you, I haven't really watched pro wrestling since 2003-ish, I think. So maybe they've had time to top this, but oh boy, this was stupid. See, in 2000, David Arquette had made a movie called Ray to Rumble, which was about pro wrestling and used a lot of wrestlers from this company called World Championship Wrestling, or WCW, to promote this movie starts appearing on the wrestling shows, on WCW Nitro was the name of the show at the time. And at one point on an episode of this, he is involved in a wrestling match, in a tag match. Tag team matches are, you know, team of two guys. They go back and forth. And there's a lot of, you know, the fighting and the wrestling is happening and it's going chaotic. It's all crazy. And David Arquette gets the pin. And for whatever reason, the stipulation of the tag match was whoever gets the pin is now the world champion. So they count one, two, three, and now David Arquette is the world heavyweight champion. And if you watch the video of this, you can see people starting to throw their drinks into the ring and booing because they are very pissed off at this. And it is widely considered the dumbest thing ever in pro wrestling. David Arquette, by all accounts, did not want to do it because he was a fan of wrestling. And he thought to himself, okay, if I'm watching wrestling and I see a guy like me become the world champion, I'm going to be pissed off too. (laughs) What's funny is one of the men in that tag team match was Jeff Jarrett, who we saw (laughs) playing the Jack for Jesus preacher in Spring Breakers. Well, fuck yeah. So, yes. I say all that to show what a cringe life the David Arquette has had, and also to establish 
why I will always refer to him for the rest of this episode as former heavyweight champion of the world, David Arquette. I mean, that's fair. He earned it in some ways. <laughs> but yes, Joe introduces us to his father, played by former heavyweight champion of the world, David Arquette. Yes, naturally. <laughs> and then these videos, they get a little dark, a little sad, <laughs> because time has passed and Kurt's world, it's not getting the views that Kurt had anticipated or hoped for. And so he's just not feeling himself. He's feeling really down. He's feeling like nobody loves him. He is out on a street. He keeps getting interrupted by cars. He's feeling a little sad. And this is the moment that we get the idea fully informally that this movie is doing a modification of the Elliot Rogers story. Who is Elliot Rogers? For those who do not know. He is also sometimes known as the Virgin Killer. He didn't kill virgins, he just was a virgin, so he got that moniker. He, back in the day, May 23rd, 2014, to be exact, so not that long ago, was similar to our little Kurt, where he he wasn't really fully trying to be a streamer, but he did have uploaded videos and things that weren't really getting a lot of watches and likes, and he was mostly trying to get women to like him. This is where we do diverge from Kurt and Elliot, is that they have different central motivations. Kurt really wants to be validated through likes and follows and being seen by strangers on the internet. Meanwhile, Elliot Rogers really wanted to be liked and validated by the women that he saw every day. So there's a difference there Mm -hmm. in their intrinsic motivation, but there's also a comparable or similar story arc just in terms of that desperate need to be seen and validated. And I think rightfully so is a little bit more universally applicable to have Kurt really wanting that validation from strangers in a social media saturated culture rather than watch an anti-charismatic dude being upset that he couldn't get laid for two hours. That's a slightly different movie that would not have been as fun. I think the similarity, though, is that they're both seeking validation through an outside source and not receiving it automatically is a moment of chagrin for both of them. And they end up blaming that outside source that they are seeking validation from. And that happens a little bit later on with Kurt when he gets mad at his followers. But I think there's it's a divergence of motivation, but a similar reaction is what unifies these two. Yeah, there's something that does just overlap in some way. And the Elliot Rogers video that he posted in his car before he would end up going on a killing spree for really last, I think, like 38 minutes in Isla Vista, California, so around Santa Barbara, is very similar in shot and setup and language as the one we're going to get from Kurt. This idea of sitting in their car, getting ready to embark on a particular spree kill. So that's a little haunting. And the director has openly acknowledged that that video and that event was the inspiration for this movie and for mm. Kurt's character. So this is not a, hey, look, there's some similarities. No, this was the inspiration for this film. To really set that up, they make some curious decisions where a lot of the micro details in what Kurt does, says, and wears comes from the Elliot Rogers videos. These videos are actually very hard to find now because 
these were posted around the time that there was a backlash in the media of trying to suppress or not mention the name of the killers, right? Like kind of that victim's first, let's mm-hmm. not mention the killer's name, let's Which, just focus on the victims. Fair response. Let's erase the videos. It, It is, I mean, I see where that kind of ideology is coming from. I also can kind of see the oppositional side of the suppression of these videos leads to some other potentially problematic things. Like the fact that I had to spend hours on 4chan sites to find these goddamn videos. Jesus, but, you went to 4chan for the good Lord. I, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll get there towards the end. Okay. I will talk about my deep dive into finding yeah. these videos. Cause it is relevant to the end of the movie, but yeah, there it was this interesting thing where there was like videos out there for a while and then they were removing them off of YouTube and Yet, some of these intimate little details, so one of the videos does have Elliot Rogers just drinking a Starbucks throughout the entire thing. And so it's curious and darker than, in retrospect, that we have one of the videos that Kurt has uploaded is him out in front of a Starbucks drinking his Starbucks. And... Elliot even calls attention to this in the video, saying, like, I'm drinking my Starbucks latte, right? I'm participating in your consumer culture, and yet I'm still alone. And so it's like, whoa, okay. It becomes a little bit extra darkly comedic than that they have Kurt's name spelled wrong, because it's kind of poking fun, not only at Kurt and his lack of awareness, but also back at Elliot, Mm -hmm. saying that, yeah, the people in that Starbucks did not care enough about you to know your name. And the one that's very curious is that we have a scene where Elliot Rogers, he is inexplicably filming himself standing on a road. And the trees and the road are in the background. He is wearing a plaid shirt and he is holding a pair of Armani or Gucci, I can't remember, sunglasses. And he is complaining that he doesn't understand why people don't like him because he even has these expensive sunglasses. And... He tries so hard. He's putting in the work and he knows what people like. Look, there's these sunglasses. And then he gets interrupted by a car and he has to pause. Here's Elliot talking in front of his car about some sunglasses. You know, I I put a lot of effort into dressing nice. These, These sunglasses here were $300. Giorgio Armani. So I'll put them on. See? Hold on. Car. See? Look at how fabulous I look. You know, I feel so invisible as I walk through my college because none of the girls there pay attention to me. Okay, so we have him having this breakdown with his glasses on a road where he didn't think about traffic. And this contextualizes one of the videos we get of Kurt, who is also standing on a road that looks almost like the same road, but isn't mm-hmm. exactly, but they, they do a pretty good match. He's wearing a plaid shirt, he's holding sunglasses in his hand, and he has this to say. I haven't made a video in a long time because it's uh, things aren't really awesome for me right now, and it's been kind of hard for me to find Kurt, especially in these videos. It's been really tough. It's been really tough for me to find Kurt, and I'm just. It's been really tough for me to find Kurt. 
So what's ending up happening here is that so many cars keep driving by that he can't get a sentence out. This is, to me, one of the most fascinating micro-decisions that this movie made, because it is such a specific reference to a video that not that many people have seen, because there was so much effort to scrub these videos from easy, accessible places. And so it's really just the people probably who at the time saw his videos before they were all taken down. It's also doing a weird dark humor thing because it reminds me of the 1980s airplane style of exaggerated comedy where in the original video, he just gets interrupted once by a car. And then it's like, how are we going to parody or satirize the incompetence of this Elliot individual? Let's just have Kurt unable to get a full sentence out because he keeps getting interrupted by cars. Like, that is an exaggerated step-up form of satire and comedy, but it's so weird because it's referencing a very specific moment that will probably be lost on a lot of people. Well, I don't think you have to have seen these videos of Elliot Rogers to get how pathetic Kurt is. It's not necessary to understand the plot of this thing, but it is, it does enhance it. Yeah, no, you don't have to know, and but it's just, it's interesting that they're working in these Starbucks references and sunglasses references, the camera angles that we get. So here's a social media shout out. I've taken screen stills of both of the videos and I'll have yeah. you, I suppose, upload those to our trivia sites of side-by-side mm -hmm. comparison at Cinema of Cruelty. Follow for follow. No. Or we will kill you. Just <laughs> seriously. So, yeah, but just the way that the DP is recapturing the angles of these shots and the lighting of some of these shots across his videos, they put a lot of work into replicating Elliot Rogers' videos. And what's even more interesting is that a lot of people, when I saw these reviews, they compare Kurt to Ted Bundy a lot. What? They're like, oh, he's like a Ted Bundy. I'm like, he's nothing like Ted Bundy, what? other than Ted Bundy also drove around in a car to pick up some of his kills earlier on. But Kurt is not a serial killer. He is a spree killer. The movie's called Spree. Also, <laughs> this movie is based off of a killer. It's a very specific killer, and they really heavily recreate his videos. So, But I think it's because Ted Bundy was a killer during the time period in which he did get a lot of media. His name is known by a lot of people okay. as the go-to name that they know for killers, whereas Elliot Rogers' name was covered up very quickly. And so, yeah, mm. I guess I don't blame people for not knowing that this is based off of it, but I'm here to tell you, like, no, this is not a Ted Bundy movie. This is an Elliot Rogers movie. So I'm glad that you were the one that went to 4chan to find these things and not me. Ha ha! Yeah, once again, I'll talk about my, my deep dive experience. <laughs> All right, where were we? So we have him set up in such a way he's getting in his car, just like little Elliot, Instead of the retribution, because I think that's what Rogers called his spree killing yeah. day, we have Joe Curie slash Kurt, who is calling his plan hashtag the lesson. Hashtag the lesson. He's figured it out. He says, I know how I'm going to go viral. I know how I'm going to get attention. Finally, this is it, guys. The lesson. Stay tuned. This is the day. And there's some text that pops up on the screen that's all on Comic Sans. Like, yeah, all right, nice little touch editor that tells us this day, 
April 12th, 2019 is the day that Kurt is going to go viral, is what the editor of this thing is telling us is going to happen. And so, Kurt, it's time to start the lesson by attaching all of the GoPros to his car because he's put a GoPro on all four side windows of the thing, two GoPros on the windshield, one facing forward and backward, and then another two in the back. He has eight GoPro Hero 7s, and this is easily $2,000 worth of GoPros. So, wow, a lot of gear to start things off. He says, like, the number one thing you guys gotta do, because this lesson is all about how to go viral, like he's going to show us. And the first thing you got to do is make sure you're set up. And he shows us that he has all of these cameras in his car. It's such a great shot. So we have all of these different camera angles. And then all of a sudden we get all of them on the screen. And so we get to understand just how many angles the following found footage is going to be covered from. And it's very exciting. And it's not just these GoPros that we're going to get footage from, but also his phone, because he tells us he's sharing a screen recording of his phone for the entire night. So that's it's a minor detail, but that's important to know because we're going to see a lot of footage from his phone as the night goes on. Yeah. And there's something about how if you go to his Patreon page then you get to click what angle you watch the streaming from, which is a fun idea mm-hmm. and a great little gimmick, except for the fact that he doesn't have even regular followers or watchers. So I don't know who he thinks is going to go to This is Patreon a very page. self-delusional state because he's always talking to his audience in this live setting. But as we'll soon find out, no one is watching him. It's Another version of that observer effect that we talked about last week with rubber, where Officer Chad, if no one's watching, he can just stop. And then I mentioned the player king from Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, who doesn't want to do this unless someone is watching. But Joe, no, man, he's the ultimate of both of those, where even if no one is watching, he's going to keep going. He just must do it. Although it does work because there is also with the concept of archival streaming that people posthumously will go and watch his streaming videos. We're watching that stream right now. So even though he doesn't have any live viewers, he's committing to Sparkle Motion with the hope that someday, once they fully understand the lesson, that they'll want to click and they'll want to watch. And this happened with Elliot Rogers, right? Nobody was watching his videos when he first uploaded to YouTube this diatribe of the retribution. But Mm -hmm. now people have to go on deep dives onto goddamn 4chan (laughs) to find them (laughs) because they want to see these so badly that they're like, all right, I'll put in the work. That's an extra step. So... Yeah, that happens. And it also reminded me a lot of, it's a film we haven't talked about yet, but Mm -hmm. Sofia Coppola's The Bling Ring. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For those not familiar with that film and or that historical moment, there were a group of kids in Los Angeles that started breaking into celebrities' homes. They also really wanted to have a social media presence. And a lot of their videos that they uploaded online, particularly like the Mark character guy in real life, were just 
long streams of him doing random shit in his room, like kind of dancing sort of slowly while he was stoned to a very specific beat or him trying on clothes. And these were not interesting videos before he became a convicted criminal and then <laughs> suddenly it becomes interesting to go and see the precursor buildup to a series of crimes. So here Kurt is right that... These are videos that nobody would be otherwise watching if he wasn't then about to kill people. Mm -hmm. That being people within the diegetic structure of his world or us as an audience. If this was just about him driving around in a car, like we probably wouldn't be there either. No, absolutely not. So. No. What I do find interesting here is that we see Kurt run back inside really quickly to talk to his mom. And then a long stretch of silence goes by. We cut to these other camera angles that we've established are there. Again, these are choices by whoever edited all this together. And then he runs back out to the car, panting out of breath, and hangs this little crystal thingy that on my second watch through I kept calling Chekhov's crystal in the mirror because that crystal does become important later on. It's always just hanging there. A little refractory prism of light. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we have little Kurt... As he's closing the trunk of his car, we also get the trunk cam POV. His mom comes out for a second and calls him back into the house. And he goes, oh, yeah, I, I forgot. You know, he just kind of looks, shakes it off and runs back into the house. Really fun, weird moment to have right there because mm -hmm. we'll come back to that moment later on in the film because it just seems like a one-off. He goes into his car to pick up his first passenger for his spree job. Oh, also, the title card for this, speaking of Spree, is fantastic. He's looking at his phone, pulls out into the apps. There's the Spree app that then takes over the phone. It's a really great, satisfying transition. Just really well done. Really keeps us into the whole, this film is just going to be given to us through a lot of different mediums. And that medium is going to slightly alter the way in which we understand what we're watching. So... McLuhan once again. And then the early start of this is just hyperkinetic. We get a lot of sped up frame rates as he's driving around Los Angeles to show that motion of time, very similar to the opening transition of Fast and the Furious, actually, when we're panning over LA and we just get that speed up frame rates. And yet other things are happening in real time because we're getting split screen and we're getting some music that's really mm -hmm. kinetic. It's just a really great title card opening and the setup of all of these cameras. So yes, back into this car, picking up the spree charge. Spree charge number one, who immediately we're uncomfortable with because he tells us, yeah, I'm going to go uh, give a speech, you know, it's really important to, uh, you know, guys like you and me working together, sticking together. Kurt's a little confused. What do you mean by that? Come on, man, say it. I'm white and I'm proud. And Kurtz is immediately uncomfortable with He's this. He's like, no. No, man. <laughs> it's a really great reaction. Like, oh, no. Because it's not immediate. There's a tiny bit of a build where this guy, he seems nice. He's going to a convention center to give a talk in front of a bunch of people. He notices all of the cameras and then asks, what are you doing here with all of these cameras? Because these cameras are really conspicuous. Right? Mm -hmm. They're just all drilled into yeah. every angle of his car. <laughs> At first, Kurt says, oh, well, 
it's for my followers. He's like, wait, you have followers? He's like, no, no, I'm, I'm doing an educational video of sorts because hashtag the lesson. And he's like, oh, that's great. It's, it's great to see guys like you and me trying to get on top of the social media game. It's like, what do you mean guys like us? Because right now there's no comparison. Yeah. You're some sort of slightly business dude that's going to talk at a convention center. I'm a spree driver. And he's like, you know, white people. And it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, that uh, just took a turn. And you can see, yeah, Kurt all of a sudden deflate a little bit. And he's like, yeah, say it. Say it with me. I'm white and I'm proud or I can't remember the phraseology. Yeah, and he's like, uh, No. <laughs> I called this his save the cat moment. You've probably heard of that term, save the cat. It's kind of a thing in screenwriting where in order to make your main character lovable or sympathetic to the audience, have them do something universally good, like save a cat. In this case, Kurt denounces racism. Universally, that's a very good thing. But I have to wonder how sincere he is in that statement, because immediately after he says, no, uh, I can't have you saying racist shit, man, because my buddy Bobby was going to share my stream later on, but he's not going to do that. There's a bunch of racist shit happening. And this, the director did comment on that he wanted to establish up front that Kurt didn't really have an ideology other than fame and knowing what is appropriate and inappropriate to post on his streaming channel. So he is only concerned with other people's ideologies when they may or may not interfere with him getting the following that he wants to have. Right. And that is an interest, but it's still like an interesting, weird setup because yeah, it does automatically position Kurt as our protagonist, because suddenly this guy, his mouth opens, and you're like, oh, okay, go for it, Kurt. Totally kill this dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're, we're on your side, Kurt, buddy. Like, do it. Yeah. They do a very similar thing in the pilot of Dexter. All right. Where back in the early pilot of Dexter, where you have this show that is going to be about a serial killer. And this is at a time where the anti-hero was just starting out in TV is the next big thing. Mm -hmm. So there was this question of how do we make our serial killer likable for many seasons? And they do this in the pilot by having his first victim that he picks up a pedophile that has been raping and killing small children around the Miami area. And he's like, hey, I just kill other serial killers. You kill kids. And so it automatically situates this into that weird gray morality where two things aren't good individually. They uh -huh. would not be over the moral scale. But when composited together and compared, it's like, okay, the serial killer that kills serial killers is better than the serial killer that kills kids. So that means that this guy, the serial killer of serial killers, is our protagonist. And so now we have that with Kurt, who, yeah, we're gonna see him kill people, but we haven't yet. And then we see this guy that you kind of are like, all right, you know, the world wouldn't be that bad if <laughs> you were taken out of it. So like, it suddenly positions this, yeah, weird moral ambiguity. And it's a strong statement to open with in terms of having us allied with this character that later the director's going to keep mentioning, oh, we put this here and we put this here so that we would know that Kurt is the monster and we're not supposed to identify with him. Like, well, you set it up pretty strongly for us to identify with him. So that ship has sailed, my friend, my dude. It is interesting to this 
separating Kurt from any ideology. So he's going to get called by this guy, a liberal snowflake in this opening scene. But later yeah. he's going to get sort of re-delegated to the alt-right. So he's getting bounced back and forth depending on who's in the scene with him. Mm-hmm. Because really he just wants the Vs. He wants to go wherever the viewers are. And that's that's just how he rolls. Yeah. Meanwhile, Elliot Rogers was definitively racist. Like, So uh, yeah. that's a part where we're also, once again, deviating from the Elliot story, because a lot of Elliot's stuff was very aggressively racist, which was interesting because he himself was biracial, but there was a lot of, I think, interior sort of self-loathing mm. of that, and he blamed a lot of his biracial side of things for why he couldn't get laid, and so he hated interracial couples. It was like this whole thing. Like, Along with his videos, Elliot Rogers also posted like a 170-page manifesto that he emailed to his therapist and his parents that has also leaked, and I did read that as well. And so that's where a lot of this is coming from, this knowledge that he was, yeah, super racist and a very problematic individual on a lot of levels. But yeah, they're choosing to make Kurt a little bit more just focused on the follows. Mm -hmm. That's fair. So little Kurt, he meanwhile has one viewer through all of this. Bobby! Bobby. Bobby is the kid he used to babysit because babysitter Steve <laughs> slash babysitter Steve. Kurt. Joe Curie just can't escape the babysitting gig no matter what role he takes Poor on. Poor Joe, man, just across dimensions is trapped in this babysitter gig. That's that's tough. But Bobby is a influencer and, well, he's, <laughs> he's, he's a streamer. He's got a lot of views. He's got a following. And Kurt is such a fanboy. It is kind of endearing in a weird way because this guy in the back of the car, he notices that Kurt seems to be interacting with someone on his phone. He's like, who's that? And he's like, it's Bobby. What's his last name in this? Bob. I don't know. It's Bobby. It's Bobby something. Bobby, he, yeah. he knows his handle. It's like, it's Bobby such and such. And the guy's like, who? He's like, you haven't heard of Bobby such and such? He's so <laughs> offended because somehow in his world, right, these are the people that matter and these are the people who everybody should know. And so he's getting called out for a second. That might not actually be true. Similarly, this guy that they cast to play Bobby is also a social media dude. He's oh, played okay. by Josh Oval or Josh O. Oh, all right. I've never heard of him, but that's cool. Yeah. yeah, no, I don't know this kid either. I mean, this kid is way too... I don't know most streamers because I, I've i already known this about myself, but it was really reaffirmed by this movie that I apparently just don't get streaming and streaming culture <laughs> because all of the quote-unquote good streams in this, I find super tedious. I was like, especially like Bobby's stuff. I was like, I don't understand it. I don't like it. I wouldn't watch it. And then other like Twitch streamers and stuff, I have so much to do that I do not have time to watch somebody else go to Walmart. So yeah, I just don't get the social media thing. But I mean, I don't even have my own like Twitter or Facebook. So I'm just a really old fashioned Luddite, I guess, in that way. (laughs) But yes, Bobby is an example of, well, the current popular streamers that are often just doing weird pranks on people or running around saying, hey, everybody, this is my place. Check out this place. Yeah, we had this awesome party last night. Look at all my shit. But it does seem like streamers, the popular ones, are just kids who are already rich and are basically finding creative ways to show off all of their stuff. And that gets them a lot of viewers and a lot of viewers get them endorsements and more money. So it's it really is a the rich get richer situation with streaming, it seems. Also, the important thing to remember that I have learned is that 
the people who make these streamers popular, kids 8 to 14 years old. They are super young kids who have vastly different tastes than you or I do. Fair. Yeah. That's fair. No, I mean, everybody deserves the content that makes them happy. So mm -hmm. I would never take away streaming from anybody. I'm just saying I don't get it. <laughs> but having said all of that, now we start to see what the lesson really is all about. Because racist asshole in the backseat has had a, a drink of water. Kurt's like, hey, man, why don't you take a drink of water? Yeah. There's some bottled water right there for you. Kurt wants this guy to drink that water. Why? Well, as another YouTube video that Kurt made explains, there's some poison in these bottles of water that Kurt has very covertly injected into them. Even shows him using a hypodermic needle to inject the poison and a hot glue gun to seal it shut so that you can't tell, so the seal on the cap is never broken. It's actually quite ingenious. Yeah, how we get this information is it's a cut to an instructable video that he has uploaded at a previous time. So... It is fun the way that we're getting those different mediums, modes of information. So we've been in the GoPro camera angles, but we are cutting back and forth to different camera angles, which makes this very fresh and cool. We're getting all the different side-eye glances that Joe Curie keeps throwing the camera because he knows he's being watched, right? As this guy is being a jackass, he just kind of gives us a knowing look. Making the audience complicit. The audience is complicit in all of this when he keeps looking at us that way. He knows we're in on it, man. Yeah, and so cut to his instructable video. And I love this little, like, you gotta push the syringe to make sure all the air bubbles are out. No, I'm just kidding. You don't really have to do that. I just like doing that. And then he injects that <laughs> bottle, dab of hot glue gun, and then we pan to the side to show that he already has a case of these made. He's prepped. He's got a lot of kills on his mind. He kills the guy. The guy is dead. Yeah, he gets this guy to drink a bunch of water. He gets the guy to drink water. The guy, he dies because poison, and he's down. And we get the second pastor Kurt picks up, and it's a real estate agent who lets some balloons off, and it's kind of littering. Maybe a lot of the bad reviews in this movie came from like movie reviewers who are also real estate agents and felt targeted that Joe's second kill victim is a real estate agent who's just kind of a jerk, but that's well, it. What I'm saying is I think a lot of these negative reviews are just somebody who felt personally insulted because they are going to have an array in this movie. Right? Yeah. Like First we have the more alt-right racist, and now we have just kind of a bitchy real estate agent. <laughs> but she's just kind of terrible in mm -hmm. some ways. And later we're going to have these more kind of like left socialites. So we're across the board just insulting a whole bunch of people, which is great. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, this woman, she doesn't, she's just on her phone the whole time. She's also trying to market herself. She has her face on a sign that she puts into his trunk of the car. Mm -hmm. She also somehow, like the guy who's going to go give some sort of Talk. white power speech yeah. who has viewers, this woman also apparently has some sort of view or visibility in her real estate job. So, this is triggering Kurt a little bit because he's like, I put in all this work. Like, how come these people have views or how come these people are seen? He's going to kill her, too, by giving her some water. This water, this poison in this water, it acts quick. Yeah. The toxins are quick. Uh, these drugs are quick, as the bard would say. But yeah, whatever poison, I couldn't really figure out what poison he's putting into these. The 
label was a little obscured. I don't know if the director goes into any detail on that in his commentary. It's some fast-working poison. Maybe arsenic, cyanide. I don't know. Who can tell? But point is, this new real estate agent, she dead. And we get a little explanation for how Kurt is dealing with it. I like that they make that part of the lesson. Is they says, now, the important thing to do is tie up loose ends. So he unlocks her phone by having to shove it in her face. Like, well, let's see here. Last guy that texted her. Yeah, fuck you, man. You suck. I'm breaking up with you. You never repost anything anyway. Which is such a great <laughs> Kurt character moment where how he covers up the crime is to break up with the dude she's supposed to be seeing that night because nobody reposts his stuff anymore. Yeah, that's how he sees value in people is if yeah, no one's reposting your stuff. Yeah, that's what Kurt cares stuff. about. He just cares about their relevance on his medium of choice. So great. Yes. And I like that he thinks that's going to cover it. It's like, yeah, this is totally in character for her to just break up with this dude out of the blue because of his social media post. That's not going to get any questions <laughs> on his end. Sure. He's also later going to further try to quote unquote cover up her body when he goes to a gas station and he will take that real estate agent sign out of the back of his trunk and prop it next to the garbage can so he has evidence with her name on it he's wearing his kurtz world hat meanwhile the footage we're getting is all from the master shot pov of the gas station surveillance camera what a so breadcrumb like, trail you you're leaving there disposing of kurt your victim's evidence that's not even going in the trash with her name on it, with your name on your head, under surveillance foot smooth, Kurt. Like, it's just so oh. great. It's so wonderful. Because it's sort of like he picks and chooses when he thinks he's being watched. Like, he understands that he is cultivating a certain stream. And he's always trying to get on other people's streams. And mm -hmm. that... He's also just blissfully unaware of the surveillance culture of other mediums. It's as if, if if it's not on YouTube, Vine, or TikTok, or Twitch, then it just doesn't exist as a video feed, mm -hmm. which is super fun. But first, before he goes to the gas station, he picks up two more people. We get our third passenger. This guy is growing it up hardcore. And I guess this is some version of a ride-sharing app where multiple people can be in the same car at the same time. I never had that with Uber or Lyft. I don't know if that's a feature with those. Yeah, that is a feature. You can ride share okay. to save money. Well, all right. There you go. And we start to pick up Jesse. What I love is that they go to pick her up and she takes one look inside the car at Kurt and Mario and just says, uh, yeah, no, no. Cancels the ride immediately. <laughs> Cancels that ride. Yeah, She's no, like, no, not happening. I am not getting in the car with you but kurt convinces her like no it's cool you're just over there I'll, I'll do it for free it's okay because mario this whole time is like just pushing him like come on man don't be a pussy get her in the car bro get that bitch in the car come on let's do this thing yeah because initially he was on his way to meet a tinder hookup yeah and he's like i've got a girl waiting for me and Kurt's response is, well, I have a girl waiting for me to pick her up. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's so great. And uh, yeah, he offers Jessie a free ride and that she's just going around the corner. So against her instincts, she gets in this car and she has a worse time while she's in the car because this guy continues to be an irritating jackass. Makes sense. 
Yeah. So Jessie here is a comedian in the film diegetically. She's also a comedian in real life, yeah. extra yeah. diegetically. And we will get compilation videos of her comedy later to establish Jessie, which are actually just compilation videos of Sashir's stand-up comedy from her earlier days in college improv mm -hmm. and then later when she was on tour before SNL. Yeah. So it's it's a weird bleed in and bleed over. Now eventually Mario recognizes Jesse as a stand-up comedian and Kurt really doesn't care about any of this until he hears that she has a following. Wait, wait a second. You have a huge following? Yeah, dude. That's amazing. How did you grow your audience? Um I'm like funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean having a big following I can I mean, yeah, all those notifications coming in. I mean, I, I get it. I do too. So, Jesse, it's super nice to meet you. Follow for follow. And if you post anything in my spray, just make sure to tag me. I'm Kurt's World 96. <laughs> Sir, are you a Twitter bot or is there a real live human boy in there? <laughs> do not touch me. I'm as real as you. I don't. Oh, poor little Kurt. Yeah, this moment where she calls him a Twitter bot, I think is almost the thesis of this movie. Maybe not literally from the director's point of view, but I think it's very telling. Kurt basically is a Twitter bot come to life. His only concern is with followers. He just wants to get followers. He doesn't care how it's done. He has nothing to say that's original or of his own. I think that's the difference between him and Jesse. Jesse, as she just says, uh, I'm funny. That's how she got. She has no social media strategy. She has no advice. She just says, I'm funny. And she takes to social media in her own little way, but her strength is that she has something authentic to say, to add to the conversation of life, whereas Kurt has none of that. So they really are polar opposites in that way. Oh, he's trying so hard, though. <laughs> and yeah, at some point, Jesse gets mad enough and insulted enough that she gets out of the car. Meanwhile, Mario, dude bro, he, he gets poisoned. He dies. He gets out of the car because he seems to be retching, and Kurt makes a compelling case that he needs to keep his car clean, so if the guy's going to vomit, he's got to get out. Mario gets out, and that's when Kurt gets this smile on his face. He glances at Dude Bro in his rearview mirror. He looks back at us through his phone stream. He smiles, and then... This song filters in extra diegetically, diegetically, kind of unknown. It seems a little bit of both somehow as he maniacally backs up over Dude Bro. Dude Bro goes sailing over the car, we get blood all over the car, and this gummy bear song is just playing, and it's exceptional. You can't see it, but we were totally dancing to that. It's, it's hard not to. He's just having a great time. It's so fun. <laughs> the Gummy Bear song, it just works. Oh, it just works somehow. God. Also, we have not mentioned the soundtrack up until now or the score, but the score is really interesting mm -hmm. where it does have a really interesting opening, but then predominantly the score is going to be Kurt's own music because along with his reviews of vapes and sneakers and trying iced tea he also he mixes his own beats and he posts them also to kurt's world where there's a globe with his little face superimposed on it it's a very strange graphic it's another just really great choice because it's just so creepy the director talked a lot about how difficult scoring this movie was because they wanted 
since it's Kurt's music, for it to be quote-unquote bad, right? Like, it's not good, but then at the same time, they didn't want this movie's score to just be bad, because that's going to get released by itself as a score. So they're like, how do we find that balance of something that's actually producible on a score soundtrack album or a score album, but that fits with Kurt's vibes. So it was interesting to rewatch this film, just paying attention specifically to the music and where they're trying to just get around a little bit the the full-on bad of his music. It's more mm-hmm. just that they aren't very variationally interesting, but they're, they're simple, mm-hmm. but effective. So, but the Gummy Bear song, that just sticks out. Dusk falls, night comes, and the car is getting a little dark. But don't you worry, because <laughs> Kurt, he would never let the lesson carry on in the dark. He pushes a button, let there be light. The LED lights that he has also strung up throughout the entire of his car come on, and they light this thing like candy. It's, it's great. really freaking bright in there. I always figured that would mess with your vision when you drive at night, the glare from those lights in your windshield, but I've never done that before, so hey, who knows? But Kurt is also curious about Jessie and that awesome following that she has, so he looks her up on his phone, and what I love is that very briefly, we see what his previous searches were, which was how to dispose of a body. And the top result is an article from whatculture.com. And the headline says, how to dispose of a dead body if you really needed to. And we get the first few lines of it that says, right, so hypothetically speaking, you wake up with a dead body in your flat, blood all over your hands, dot, 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 and then we can't see the rest of it. So (laughs) I don't know if that's a real article from whatculture.com, but I really want it to be because... That's a hilarious article. Yeah, I like that it just supposes that where the dead body situation would come from is waking up next to it. (laughs) Not a conscious decision. It's just, you know, when you have those nights. Not saying this is going to happen. Not saying that you killed him. But just in the hypothetical situation that you wake up with a dead body and blood is literally on your hands, here's what you do. Yeah, I want to know what they think we should do. Because we don't really fully see Kurt ever dispose of the bodies. No, not that's, that's true, yeah. That's kept from us because mm-hmm. that's outside of the car, and apparently he needed both of his hands to drag the bodies, so that's... he doesn't have his phone streaming either, so we just don't get that. That's, yeah, so, very it's true. It's a mystery. Doesn't matter because he has blood all over his car now, and he has to go and wash it off. And... There's a cop that is right next to the gas pump who's filling up his own car as Kurt is scrubbing blood off of his windshield. This guy is within five feet of Kurt's car that has blood all over it and does not make a move whatsoever. And when I was first watching this, I thought to myself, uh, are, are we saying that, you know, Kurt, white guy, so he gets away with it? I thought, is that what this is saying? I don't know. It's not my place to say that that's what the commentary here is, but was that the commentary? Yeah. Yeah, it totally is the commentary. And the commentary (laughs) around this moment said that this was a purposeful, subtle, not subtle dig at how rarely white rich boys are profiled or questioned by the cops. And so we have Kurt here standing outside of his car, filling up the tank and scrubbing blood off the windshield while he's behaving very erratically because he's simultaneously talking to his 
one viewer. Well, technically, his stream says he has three viewers. I don't know who those other two viewers are because mm. Bobby's giving him shit about how he's his only viewer at the moment. And poor little Kurt, he's he's having a reaction to that because he's like, but how can that be? Like, I am literally out here killing people. I mean, dropping them off <laughs> safely at their destination. But I'm, like, killing people here. And this is, like, real, man. This is cinema verite. Like, why aren't people watching? And we're getting Bobby's comments about how you're just, like, a white dude driving around in a car, bro, like, killing people. Like, that happens every day. That's stale content. <laughs> yeah, these murders, <laughs> man. Content. It's so passe what you're doing. Kurt says, I don't kill you. You do those weird videos with the homeless people. And Bobby wants to let him know, like, you think that was real and authentic? No, 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 no. Here, watch the video again. And we get this video of Bobby. He says, sometimes I play pranks on homeless people. And we see him with a $100 bill on a fishing line and a homeless guy chasing it. And he says, but today I'm going to help him out. It lets a homeless guy find $100. Homeless guy goes. Bobby thinks he's just buying booze comes back and he's bought food for his other homeless friends. And Bobby says, wow, I guess some people will surprise you just like being surprised by Bobby. Be sure you'll smash that like button and subscribe, blah, blah, blah. And he shows up in the video and Bobby says, that's all staged, man. That's not real. And I haven't seen these videos myself, but I've seen channels like I think the H3H3 is a YouTube video that will discuss and digest videos like this. And this is basically what a lot of popular YouTubers will do. They're doing these blatantly staged videos that they are passing off as very real. In this case, treating the homeless, or I think there was a guy for a long time who had a, all these videos where he would prank women by coming up to them and saying, hey, I want to challenge you to rock, paper, scissors. If I win, I get a kiss. Or something really weird like that. He would just kiss them over and over and over again. And that was this guy's videos. And so I think this is the genre that Bobby is a part of. And again, these videos are really popular because the people watching them are children. Very young children who have nothing else to do. I don't say that as a bad thing. I didn't have anything else to do when I was a kid. But it's more of a statement of fact. That's the reason these videos are popular is that it's kids watching them. Mm-hmm. So, Fair enough. Yeah, they're out there. Comes from a real place. Thank God we didn't have Bobby as a, a kiss pranker or a prank kisser or whatever the fuck. I don't know. YouTube's weird, man. YouTube is weird. Bobby tells him, look, this is boring. You need to add some what the fuck moments, man. You got to spice this up. So Kurt takes us to mean that the next group of people that he picks up, he needs to nearly kill them in a near car crash. We have these three people in the back who I think you mentioned earlier. These are... They're, they're people playing very exaggerated versions of themselves, right? Yeah, so suddenly in the car, we have Misha Barton, Frankie Grande, and Lala Kent. All of them do have social media presences. Frankie Grande and Lala Kent, much more so now. Misha Barton was a kind of the it girl of the early 2000s and really got her start in the OC. That's right. That's where I know her from. Okay. Yeah, yeah Lala Kent is just a, a big influencer in general and Frankie Grande is Ariana Grande's brother, who oh. also does a lot of theater and social media posting. Yeah, okay. So they're all playing these thinly veiled versions of themselves. They are understanding their role as these thrill-seeking social media influencers. So yeah, all three of these guys, they're in... Well, two of them are in the back. Lala Kent and Frankie Grande are in the back. Misha Barton is up front. 
Kurt is just zipping through the streets of LA a little too fast. He's blowing those red lights. His LED lights, they change color. So we're getting green interiors. We're getting warm yellow interiors. It's a fun way of varying up the visual stimulus of this film to just change that light source and the temperature source. But all of them are a little drunk. They want something to stream and post. A lot of what they're posting is just them standing up on the seats to exit the moonroof. So they're doing the quote-unquote prom thing. Like, oh yeah, let's both act like we're in senior prom and stand up and just film ourselves as we're zipping through this junkyard. Side note, they had to custom make this car because compact sedans, they don't have moonroofs in the back seat. So they actually had to build this car so that it would have a moonroof in the back seat because that's something that they have over the driver and passenger seats so that the driver can enjoy or it stretches all the way back. But there is no car in existence that just has a moonroof over the back seat, not the front, other than limos. Meanwhile, Misha Barton's character is super into Kurt. She is hitting on him. She is feeling him. And he does not even notice yeah. because he is not there for the validation of one woman in person. He wants validation on the screen. So once again, a very big difference between Elliot Rogers' Mm -hmm. core persona and motivation and Kurt's. In fact, the director described Kurt's sexuality more as being very much on the asexual spectrum, that he's mostly ace with a little bit of homosocial leanings towards his kind of fanboy crush on Bobby. Sure, sure. For the most part, he does not think of sex. Sex does not dawn on him until a little bit later when he sees it as possibly a source of viewers. But right now, like, that's not a source, so he doesn't care. Well, also, he heard what Misha Barton's character is named, and that turned him off immediately. Mm -hmm. Her name is London. Yeah. Just... Yeah. yeah, it's becoming more and more popular. It didn't always used to be. Is it? Do parents really hate their children that much? Come on. Name. Come on, yeah. London. Londons yeah. are the best. Uh. Welcome to the club, Misha Barton. Uh. And so I guess, yeah, this Kurt only gets love from Londons, I guess, is really the takeaway here. There's something about Kurt's that Londons are drawn to. They nailed that one. But Misha Barton does ask him about his mother and oh. her flirting. Oh, that's He's right. like, yeah, yeah, I mean, my parents are divorced, and my mom found me this crystal out here in the junkyard and gave it to me. And she's like, oh, that's sweet. She must really love you. Uh, she was a major star fucker. And his friend's like, um, oh, okay. I don't know how to respond to that. And he's like, no, it's fine. You know, like, my dad's kind of an asshole, too. Sudden, this actually is taken from Elliot Rogers' life because his Ooh. dad did work in the film industry. Not quite as a DJ the way that Kurt's dad is going to, but there's an overlap of industry. And then his mother also worked on films. And in his manifesto, he mentions that she tended to get around on the film sets. So this is another random little detail that is coming from Elliot's manifesto. Super strange. Crazy. True. But they drive around and he drives underneath something that looks like it's going to be really low enough to hit Frankie and Lala as they're hanging out there. And you think for a second that we're going to get... That's right, I keep using it. (laughs) But we do not uh, get that. Kurt begins to close the sunroof. Frankie and Lala, they're trapped now in the roof. He drives into another section of the junkyard where pit bulls now appear, run up onto the car, and start eating at Frankie and Lala, presumably killing them. 
He takes out Misha Barton with a drill, because that's there, from when he hung up his cameras earlier. My god, he kills off a character from the OC. What you say? Oh, that you what the... Sorry, I don't know what that was. Who but... says Ben doesn't understand memes? Sorry, he kills Misha Barton and... What? what? God damn it, what is that? Stop doing... Okay, sorry, sorry. So yes, Misha Barton's dead. And what God damn say? it! Stop! Okay, moving on. So everybody's dead, except for Kurt. Somehow he disposes of the bodies. Mm. We cut immediately to a car wash, and it is a fantastically <laughs> shot scene of a car wash through his dashboard cam that just blood across the windshield and then those soapy wiping things. Super satisfying. And then we have a philosophical statement delivered. See, Kurt, now he calls Bobby up to say, Bobby, did you see that, man? I got three kills in one, man. This is like the most epic thing ever. And Bobby says, what are you talking about, man? No one saw that happen. What? But but I did it, man. I really did. Well, if a tree falls in the woods, dude, nobody's there to see it, didn't even fucking fall or whatever. Poor little Kurt. He's not anybody in America unless he's on some sort of watched streaming service. And he's not. Bobby tells him, look, if you want an example of something authentic and real, check out Jessie's streams. Check out her Instagram stories more, man. She's funny and she's real. And Kurt does watch her stuff. And it's Jessie's stories from that day. So we actually revisit things that happened earlier in the day when Jessie was in the car with Kurt and then see her progressing throughout her day, eventually going to her grandmother's. And Kurt's confused. He says, well, that doesn't make what? Now she's filming it the wrong way. It's horizontal. You're supposed to film vertical. And now her live video is vertical. I don't get it. Again, he's completely missing anything fun or interesting that Jesse has to say about life or about what she has going on. It's just a critique of the technical aspects of it. And that's all that Kurt understands. So what's happening here is that we do have... Kurt and his scene in a full general standard aspect ratio that is horizontal. And the director in the commentary did mention that he wanted to cut to the same aspect ratio, that it was too jarring, which usually when they do the vertical IG streams, they pair it with a split screen. Mm -hmm. So we do almost always have our full regular frame filled up. And this is very important for eye matching and eye tracing and editing, that if it was to suddenly jump to a smaller screen in a different width and height, that that would be jarring. And he did not want that type of jolt to happen visually to the audience. And so he's like, we're going to have to film her stuff horizontally. But nobody does that. <laughs> nobody <laughs> films IG videos horizontally. Jesse, she's going to do it, though, because we need to ratio match. Mm -hmm. And so we'll have Kurt call her out on it so that the audience also knows that we're aware that this is weird, that all of a sudden, right. and they also build in the weirdness of the fact that when we do see anybody's IG stream, we get the top and bottom of their feed that we would see on the screen. So we get the responses from the viewers. We have the timestamp at the top, except for that as well is also just tilted horizontally. So mm -hmm. all of the text that's popping up is <laughs> sideways. And Kurt's like, who streams like this? Like, 
are all of her viewers, do they just all have back and neck aches because they're constantly looking at things at a 90 degree angle? Like, what, what the hell? Like, it's all about branding and consistency. I understand. I put in the work. I understand the formula of the format. Why is nobody watching me when I took all the time to put up these steady cams and make this a watchable, viewable experience? And she's just randomly streaming her life. Like, there's no editing. There's no consistency. So he's, he's pissed. He's angry. Mm-hmm. It is true. It is weird that she's doing it horizontally, but I do get, like, the match, and I do like that they kind of called themselves out on it. It's super fun. I think, personally, it's just a sign that Jesse, she's not too concerned with the technical aspects of what she's doing. She's just there to to tell you funny things and reflect on life in her own special way. That's what a stand-up comedian does. Now, this is a good time to talk about something that Marsh McLuhan discussed, which was hot versus cool media. Okay, yeah, go for it, Benji. Lecture me on McLuhan. The pressure's on. Uh-huh. All right, hot medium. Marsha McLuhan called mediums hot when they are something that provides you with all the details that you need to understand what is going on. So for McLuhan, a theatrical film, a movie that you watch in the movie theater, is considered a hot medium because it takes all of your attention and all of the visual and auditory information gives you lots and lots of detail. McLuhan referred to this sort of thing as High-definition entertainment. Mind you, he was saying this back in the 1960s, so high-definition means something much different these days. Now, opposed to that, a cool medium is something that requires you to put lots of your own information in in order to understand the premise. McLuhan often labeled television, or television as it was in the 1960s, which was a very blurry image, often black and white, that was maximum 12 inches across, or also comic books, he says, are cool media because the visual and audio information is more abstract, less defined, and because of that, you have to fill in the blanks yourself in order to get a full idea of what is being communicated. So, to apply this to a modern medium, in this case, the streaming video or the Instagram stories, we could say that these Instagram stories that Kurt is watching are a cool medium because the videos are very short, They're viewed on a very small screen and only give him bits of Jesse's story to work with. Now, his experience of these videos is going to be determined by what he puts of himself into Jesse's messaging because it's a cool medium. It requires you to add to the story. In Kurt's case, all that he can add are very surface level critiques of how Jesse records things, the technical aspects of it, and he's completely missing out on anything that she has to say observational wise in the world. So I think that McLuhan's idea of hot versus cool media is a very interesting way of explaining why Kurt gets nothing from these videos that Jesse intends him to. What's going to be really cool with hot and cool here in a second is the color choices. But Mm -hmm. first to set this up, as he's watching, we have Kurt on one side. So we do eventually switch to a vertical IG stream for Jesse. So Jesse is in the left of the split screen, and then we have a wider shot ratio of little Kurt. And he's riding along in his car, and he's watching her video on his phone as we're actually watching what's on the phone to the left of the screen. Mm -hmm. This actually, since the Jesse stuff was shot first, they did just upload the video onto Kurt's phone or Joe Curie's phone so that he could watch it in real time because it's 
actually way cheaper to just do it that way than (laughs) to pay for composite shots so they're like let's get this done first so he can actually just be watching so they sync it up in a very interesting way and they do this curious thriller build where kurt's on the move he's driving he's driving somewhere and he's watching Mm -hmm. jesse's video and we see him coming up to a house and Jesse hears a knock on the door. And so we are tricked into thinking Kurt has just stalked Jesse to her house and has knocked on the door. But then the door in front of Joe Keery's stream opens and it's Bobby standing there instead. And meanwhile, on her stream, some other dude has knocked on her door. So it's a little bit of a really well put together fake out. But then we cut from Jesse's feed and we just get... Kurt's feed and now Bobby's feed, which is now in the opposite side of the screen. So now his vertical stream is on the right hand side or Bobby's Mm -hmm. vertical. And that's a really cool technical choice too to swap like that because once again, it's great for the continuity, the consistency, and the eyeline tracing and matching. So eyeline tracing and matching in editing is where physically your eyes go when a cut or new stimulus happens on the screen. Generally, we talk about it when cuts are happening. So if you have a plane taking off in the bottom corner of the screen, and then you cut to something else that is in the side right of the screen, your eyes actually have to jump to a new location on the screen in a trajectory that they were not anticipating having to take. And that can be very jarring for your audience. This film does a really great workaround in terms of making the eye tracing very, very smooth, despite all of these different camera angles. I think that's another reason why this film feels so steady, because we've just had Kurt's and he just gets shifted over a tiny bit on our screen. And we're like, oh, we're in a new space. So it makes sense that Bobby's door is on the opposite side than Jesse's door. So really great editing choices all around that are being made here. But the lighting choices are also cool because Kurt has been driving around in his LED lit car and the car is red. It is a deep, <laughs> warm red. He is under that red light. It is great. It's a little bit menacing in some ways. It's very menacing. I think this is definitely where the movie is giving you the hint. Kurt is a monster. Yeah. Or Kurt and, is maybe our hot media because or, <laughs> we have um, okay. Bobby open the door and he is in blue light. So for a second, we've got this red and blue light on screen. And this was not on purpose. Like, I do not think that they were thinking, oh, we should represent the difference between hot and cool media from McLuhan by making our lights hot and cool. But in a weird way, we have what we've understood as a viewer as this is the movie we've been following. Kurt is the movie we've been following. We have all of the information that we need. So it's not really fully like we're just watching his random streaming videos because this has been composited into a movie. And we get a lot of extra information from all of his earlier compilation videos. We're getting other people's videos coming in. So we have a lot of information with him. Bobby, we're entering just in media race. He's been playing a game, I guess, but the streamers that are watching him, you know, he's just, he's in his cool blue lights and we don't really have a lot of context. We don't know his life. We don't know his character. So it is kind of a fun representation of like, this is the the hot stuff that yeah. we, we know. And this is the cool stuff that we're just getting dropped into. And we're getting them both simultaneously on the screen. What's really wild about 
this thing with Bobby is that, yeah, they talk for a little bit. And for the first minute or so they're talking, it's all Kurt's phone. He's filming Bobby while he's also talking to his three, four, five followers. And then Bobby says, okay, you know what? You have this coming, man. And he taps a GoPro that's on his chest three times. And then immediately he's now streaming. And this is the one technical aspect of the film that kind of confused me. I had to look it up. But I discovered that, yeah, GoPros, you can stream straight to Twitch or whatever your platform of choice is directly from a GoPro. You set up with your smartphone, and really so long as you're using your smartphone as a Wi-Fi hotspot, you can go anywhere in the world with your phone and your GoPro and just stream GoPro straight to the world if you want to. Now, I have no idea what the hell he's doing when he taps his GoPro three times and that gets the stream going. I really could not find out if that's a thing you can really do, but not outside the realm of possibility. So this was the one moment that I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that they uh, had to cheat the camera a little bit uh, because okay. the different streamer options did not have a high enough definition uh, that they wanted okay. to use. So this is a DSLR that they're using. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's like a Sony that they created a certain rig for. And the director mentioned that Josh here had to stand very, very straight. That the way that mm -hmm. this camera was rigged up made him have to stand with a very rigid posture. And you can kind of see that actually in the scene when I was looking for it, that mm -hmm. He, he does have impeccable posture in this scene, which maybe a young gamer wouldn't necessarily stand up quite this ramrod straight, but he needed to for the way that the camera was on. And they used this rig for a couple of other shots as well, this very specific mm -hmm. sort of on-the-go change just to get a slightly higher definition image. But okay. they made it look as well like he's you know using some streaming camera technology. But yeah, Bobby, he's not happy that Kurt is showing up. He's all, I don't want to be a part of mm -hmm. this streaming night of yours. I'm not complicit in this. And it's like, you kind of are though, because you've been watching this whole time. You've been egging him on and giving him donations. Like you are not at this point, just a casual, unaware bystander. He has mm -hmm. admitted to you out loud that he is legitimately killing people. You don't just get to say that you're not a part of it at this point, mm -hmm. but it's that separation of screen and in person, I suppose. And Kurt, he also feels this way. He's like, hey, you're a part of this with me. You're my mentor. You inspire me to do these things. And Bobby's like, no, you were my babysitter once. We are not friends. Kurt gets upset. And so when Kurt gets upset, apparently he stabs things. And so he takes out a knife gets a and he stabby. just knifes little Bobby on his live stream and on Bobby's live stream. And we're getting two different angles. Meanwhile, we're getting all of these comments coming up on both streams, mostly on Bobby's, that are all focused on, oh, it's another prank video. Give us a warning next time things are going to get graphic, bro. And yeah, not cool, And joking man. around about how fake the bullet sounds were, that they sound like blanks. Mm -hmm. We're getting like all of these different comments that just are not taking this very seriously because they don't have cause to. I mean, this is a streamer who does prank videos all the time. And it is hard to say like, no, obviously that is discernibly a real death because we as viewers also know that this is a fabricated staged 
death extra diegetically because it is a movie. So we can't say like, hey, no, I mean, that's what a real death looks like. So can't really push back on it. We're watching it look fabricated, but hopefully looking real. So what are you going to do? And these comments, they're accurate, but they're also really depressing. Not just these comments, but the entire movie. Yeah. What I find so impressive about these comments is you don't have to watch them really carefully to get what's going on in the movie. It's kind of an extra surface level, but they do add a whole lot. And if you pause and watch it like just bit by bit, second by second, the comments are all perfectly timed. And apparently the director had to spend a month's worth of all-nighters typing out all of these comments, creating unique usernames over and over again, and getting them to sync up with the action just right. And that took them the better part of a month. And I thought, you, sir, committed to sparkle motion for those comments. And it is beautiful. Yes, he did. But the stabbing here. So Kurt stabs him to death. Bobby's mm-hmm. dead. Bobby is no more. This is another Elliot reference. Oh, because fun. Elliot Rogers, before he went on his killing spree through Isla Vista's roads what he ended up doing is once he got in the car he targeted a sorority first knocked on the door of the sorority and no one would answer but i think he did manage to shoot a two women around the sorority Uh. and then he went just open fired into a diner and a gas station but before he did that he stabbed three men in his apartment which i believe were his roommates at least two of them were his roommates one it's unclear whether he was living there at the time or not but what is an overlap here is one that it was a stabbing and then two that all of them seem to have done right around the entryway of the door i think in an inverse way it was when the roommates were coming home so it wasn't necessarily elliot Uh, arriving at the apartment complex it was vice versa but this stabbing here oh. right in the entryway is an Elliot M.O. So oh, wow. this idea that he's been poisoning people Ooh. in a car and now he's suddenly stabbing people like people who have been conditioned to think of serial killers as only the second classification of fetishistic serial killing that generally have a ritualized M.O. First of all, it's not how all serial killers operate, but that tends to be the most popular one in films, right? That the serial killer has one M.O. and they'll stick to it regimentally. And as we discussed, dude's not a serial killer. Sprees when you kill a whole bunch of people in sequence without stopping, (laughs) that it's not that you go back and you plan. But this variation in M.O. actually is very historically accurate to the Elliot Rogers case, specifically Mm -hmm. stabbing in entryways. So, yeah, he's going to do that. And then he's going to go to Jesse's stand-up comedy show because they connected in that car. And now he feels connected to her. Also, he has a gun from Bobby's place because Bobby was packing. And so he's going to turn... Oh, no, actually, first, before he goes to the show, he's going to take a shower. I was going to say. Because the shower is important (laughs) because he is so excited that people are starting to view him because he appeared on Bobby's stream. They're like, who is this guy? And Bobby's not coming back. So I guess we're watching this dude now. He's all excited. It's like the you love me, you really love me moment, but you're watching me, you're really watching me. And he's jumping up and down as he's in the shower. Like he can't even put his phone down for two seconds to wash the blood off of him. So instead, he's got this phone in his face as the blood is pouring down and he's all excited. It's so great. Okay, am I the only one that noticed that this looks just like the poster to American Psycho? No, you are not the only one. There are a lot of people that compare this movie to a streamer version of American Psycho. And it does have that energy. It has those vibes. 
he gets a text from his dad, former heavyweight champion of the world, David Arquette, to go to a DJ or a nightclub. And he doesn't want to at first until he mentions, oh, it's someone DJ Uno. And all the commenters say, like, oh, DJ Uno, she's amazing. She's great. Totally go to see her. And so once again, his action is motivated only by what viewers want him to do. I also like that his dad is a DJ who uses vinyl. I've talked to a lot of DJs who have been in the game since the days of vinyl. And they'll tell you, you know what the difference between uh, using vinyl and using digital for your sets is? I said, no, what? They said about 100 pounds. Yeah. For sound, there's no point in using vinyl. Yeah, well, he seems like he's really channeling some early 2000s hipster vibes, right? He's yeah. dressing like Ed Hardy. He's carrying around his vinyl. He wants to be cool, just like his son wants to be cool. And they clash on this because they argue in the car. It's a weird, interesting father-son dynamic. Not quite as weird as the Christian Slater father-son dynamic oh, and God. others, but almost. Hey there, sports. They're just so acrimonious towards each other, and it's very bizarre. They're very unsupportive. But Kurt has changed into some of Bobby's quote-unquote swag. Oh, yeah. And it looks amazingly awkward on him. It's this pink leopard hat and this too tight long sleeve t-shirt with kanji down the side of his sleeve. And he's wearing this camo side strap bag that's kind of on his front. Like, he... Looks amazingly ridiculous, and it's great. It's so many great choices happening. They get to the club. They meet DJ Uno, who's a young female Korean DJ who has a big following. Kurt wants in on that, but she's not cool with promoting him. And this kind of enrages Kurt a little bit, and he heads back outside. But DJ Uno, she's not done with him. She can still use him. She says, do you know where things are? I love that. She walks out and she says, do you know where things are? Do I know where things are? She wants to go to L.A. taco truck. And he's like, there's a lot of taco trucks in L.A. And she's like, take me to an L.A. taco truck. He's like, fine, (laughs) fine. And so they get in the car with the agreement that she will tag him in something for her mini followers if he takes her to a taco truck. So square deal. Yeah. They get to this taco truck and we get, once again, an amazing technically composited shot because there are so many camera angles covering this taco truck. We have the general ones we've been working with. We've got his phone. We've got her phone. We have the master shot of a neighboring garage that seems to have surveillance in the parking lot to Mm -hmm. allow us all of our wide shots. And then we're also going to get some cop dash cams and some cop... Like body cams. The body cams that they have. And so it's a whole bunch of visual information, but really seamlessly edited together. Kurt is going to epically strike out with a woman in the line for the taco truck because he gets out, goes to get the food, and there's a young woman in front of him. And the commenters, I think he only does this just because the commenters are egging him on, telling him, flirt with her, man, flirt with her. So you're a streamer? Bullseye, yeah. I'm actually, I'm here with a DJ, a Korean She's, yeah, she's Korean DJ. Where? She's in the car. She just keeps it on the down low. She's famous. She actually got famous f- from a sex tape. <laughs> but yeah, it's like it's like I've, I have experience. Like I, I've like I've done some like sex tapes myself, and it's like when I put them out there, I've always feel like I have a really like, huge boom in my numbers. And it's like I could like make a sex tape at any time. I could feel like I'm making a sex tape tonight. You get what I'm saying? I'm just gonna go. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Once again, we have this great character build with Kurt that 
his idea, he doesn't think of sex until it might get him numbers. And then he clearly has just no real clue. He's like, oh, yeah, I mean, I do sex tapes all the time and I post them. I get a huge boom in my numbers. All right, buddy. But I do like that his follow-up or his conclusion is that he posts sex tapes all the time. He feels like he's posting a sex tape tonight. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I do get what you're saying. Because to him, the high and the rush that popular culture associates with sexual titillation and porn is for Kurt, this murder spree. This is Kurt's sex tape. And... I think that's great that he conflates those in his mind. Mm -hmm. If sex is what gets one famous, if that's what people want to see, like this is his equivalent of a sex tape is the murder spree. It's the thing that's going to jumpstart his career. Poor sweet child. Poor sweet honey child. Now, during this very awkward conversation with the woman, DJ Uno, who's hanging out in Kurt's car, discovers one, the gun, and takes... (laughs) I love that she poses with it. It's like, oh, I've got a gun. Yeah, takes some shots with that we get comments on her stream from that but also drinks some of the water and passes out and so now that's a problem because kurt has to deal with a dead woman in his car or is she dead we'll see the police arrive we start to get some body cam footage from them we also get a lot of just yeah split screen stuff going on here or just a variation in stimulus happening but the body cams are black and white so that changes stuff up a little bit i think it helps distinguish yeah things a little bit better in a quicker way though i do start to wonder as the end of the movie tells us this whole movie has been edited together by someone on 4chan with footage they've gotten from online so that implies that they were able to get police body cam footage and security camera footage from wherever kurt is next to okay wait how easy is it to get police body cam footage. The director actually looked into this because they wanted to have all of the things that would be accessible. And so if the body cam was footage was submitted to any sort of court trials, then that information becomes potentially open freedom of access information in California to access. So Hmm. they were thinking, okay, if there's a case about this, even, you know, posthumously after Kurt's death, what would be out there and available? And that's also why there are cop body cam things that are open and available for people to see on other real world crimes because those have been submitted for evidence and thus Mm -hmm. become part of public purview. Okay. Well, now Uno, she's immune to poison. I'm not really too sure what, but Uno wakes up. Yeah, because everybody else took, like, one drink, and they were out. And this is a tiny girl, and I don't know. But, yeah, she's just got some resolve. She's a DJ. She's lived the nightclub life for for many years now, so maybe she's just got a a killer liver. I can't tell. She wakes up, freaks the fuck out, takes the gun that she found in Kurt's glove box, and just shoots at whatever, and that whatever is one of the cops. So now Uno runs the fuck off because now she's shot a cop. She's on the run. And Kurt is now also on the run because he's accomplice in a cop murder. It's a hilarious scene, though, because they've had him get out of the car to test him for sobriety. (laughs) And so he's standing there with his arms raised, trying to talk this cop down from, hey, I'm just here with my girlfriend. She just had a bit too much to drink. I'm not drunk. Uh She wakes up, shoots this cop through the windshield, like, dead shot, like, right into his forehead. Like, he goes down, and the other cop takes off after her, and... Kurt is just left by himself in the parking lot with his hand still raised. There's like a beat of a moment where he's like, 
book. Thanks, God. <laughs> it's like, oh, so he's religious now. Like, interesting. Okay. But yeah, it's actually really humorous that just this like weird sequence of absurdist events where you're like, all right, guess it was meant to be, Kurt. You're still, you're on that righteous path, man, for media fame and streaming views. And so, yeah, he gets back into his car. For some reason, now they are after him as well as after her, even though uh, she's off somewhere else. I don't know. He's an Time accomplice, jump. whatever. We don't get it. We just get that he still has those tacos that he got from the taco truck. Fuck yeah. So this motherfucker is multitasking like nobody's business because he is in a high-speed chase going the wrong way on the 105, trying to eat his tacos and live stream at mm -hmm. the same time. You know what? Respect. He doesn't stop, man. Yeah, dude won't quit. And it is fascinating to watch him try to just like down this taco and then throw it out the window because he doesn't want to get his car dirty, you know? The scene is pretty fun. They decided, hey, we're in a spree killer movie in a car. We're going to need to have a car chase scene at some point. Like, that's a mandatory. So somehow the director did manage to talk people into letting him close down a section of the 105 in the middle of the night. So this is the section of the 105 that's out by the airport. I'm not sure how exactly he managed to finagle that deal on such a low-budget film, but he, he secured it. And yeah. there is no CGI in this entire scene. It's just it's, a high-speed chase with stunt wow. drivers going yeah. the wrong way on a freeway. Once again, because it was faster and it was cheaper to do it with no CGI. So like, let's just do this. <laughs> Fuck it. Just have them all drive at the guy and we're going to be good. And then also we occasionally will cut to other feeds of random people who just happen to be on the other side of the highway filming the car chase. We'll cut to just a different Instagram feed or a different Facebook video or mm -hmm. whatever. And it's just people going, holy shit, there's some word chase happening over there. And I love that we get that touch that whoever edited this decided I am going to see if someone tagged a car chase at this exact time and I'm going to pull yeah. those videos as much as I can. They're pulling all that they can and I respect that. Kurt, he eventually, he shakes the cops and he finds himself under the overpass where there are some tents set up with a bunch of homeless individuals. Are you seeing all these homeless people? It's pathetic. Oh, Zero social media presence. They don't even care that the whole world doesn't even know that they exist. If I ran over their tent and killed them all, no one would even care right now. Yes. Cops can't stop me. Dad can't stop me. Mom can't stop me. Bobby can't stop me. The homeless can't stop me. What's up? Guys, I'm starting to feel unstoppable. Center Divide stopped him. Uh. So he crashes. I like that the homeless make the list of like, the homeless can't stop me. Yeah, if the homeless can't stop you, then I mean, you really are invincible. But yeah, this mindset that he's finally gotten into the full height of delusion that he is invincible. He does, in fact, walk away from this crash. And this is where the director remarks that next time we see him, this is when we know he's fully become our movie monster because ordinary people, they don't survive that crash. Right now he's getting into this slightly 80s horror style, Jason Voorhees, Mike Myers. You can set him on fire, you can drown him, but he's just gonna creep back up. He is just a presence at this point. But I think he could possibly also just survive the crash. Like, I don't have a hard time believing he it. He had his seatbelt on. There was airbags. Yeah, he's probably fine. Yeah, so he goes to Jesse's show. 
Looking a little bit of a mess. So he's got bruises on his face. He's got a drop of blood coming out of his mouth. Mm -hmm. There's a certain close-up that he has with his phone camera in his hand where he looks almost exactly like Winona Ryder in the end of Heathers after the school blows up to me. Like, there's something about his face. (laughs) I'm like, you are somehow this carbon copy all of a sudden. I'd never seen how strong of a resemblance there are between those two until this very Went moment. Went through hell and came out smiling on the other side. This is also where we haven't fully stressed yet, and I mentioned that I would, that the handheld IG streaming on some of these cameras, so a lot of the camera work on the IG level is from the actors themselves because they are holding these cameras Mm -hmm. and they are streaming. And it is amazing how great of a shot and composition a lot of these streams are. This is particularly apparent in the scene with Misha Barton and Frank Grande and Lala Kent, but also with Joe Curie Mm -hmm. throughout the entire thing, that these are people that do stream, right? These are people with social media presences in their real lives. And so these are people who know how to work an IG stream. Like they know their (laughs) angles and they know what looks good in the light. They know what filters to use. So that actually worked to their benefit on this film where you have these people who are well honed to exactly where and how to hold the camera. And Joe Curie has been bringing that throughout this entire thing. Like he knows exactly the angles that he should get his face at. And we see that really strong here. Meanwhile, Jesse is up giving her stand-up performance, get a lot of different cell phone screens because her catchphrase this entire time as a stand-up comedian. All eyes on me. All eyes on me. Yeah, all eyes on me. So she too wants to be watched Mm -hmm. and seen. She gets that a little bit when she's reflecting. She comes out on stage and she starts to talk about her day. And she tells the story of how earlier she got in the spree. In that spree, there was a spree driver that just made her so sad because he said things like follow for follow and who even says that? And he just seemed so desperate. And as she's reflecting on it further, she realizes that that spree driver, that's her. She gets that. She gets that feeling of trying to produce content and wanting to get it out there and to be seen. And Kurt's sitting here in the audience hearing her talk about him. And also the streamers are like, whoa, she's talking about you, bro. And all of this stuff. But (laughs) he's there to kill her. He's there to shoot her in the face so that Mm -hmm. he can get more visibility because there are a lot of people that are streaming her performance. And so that's his in. And as far as he knows, shooting her, the only consequence of that will be more viewers. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> it's the only thing that can happen. Right. And he's prepped to do it, except for then she makes this point of connection with him. She doesn't know he's in the audience, but she makes this point of connection because he's like, she gets me. I feel seen. And so he gets up and he runs out. And all of his viewers are like, oh, you pussed out, like, fucking chicken, what are you doing? His car is, like, trashed, right? Oh, yeah, so yeah. he doesn't have his car anymore. And we get this great little sidebar where he's pulling up his phone to order a spree. And spree has been temporarily suspended because of the spree killing. So he has to <laughs> order a go-go instead. He gets in the car of his go-go driver and notices that the go-go driver has a dash cam. He has one camera for his safety mm-hmm. and it has night vision. So suddenly everything's green and Kurt's eyes are glowing. Oh, They're lit so up the, creepy. these two little witch orbs in the night. And uh, yeah, he uh, somehow off screen. We don't see him kill this 
go-go driver, but we do see him pull up in his car in the next scene to pick up Jesse, who has ordered a go-go to get home from the club because he's in the area. It's very lucky that it happened to be the car that Kurt was in that got called to it. Well, what ends up happening is she requests a go-go and then that gets put up into basically like the cloud and then different drivers, they grab that bill. So it's just up in the go-go air and he's like, sweet. Yeah, Jesse, I want her. So that's totally legit. Yeah, he's in the area. He's probably the closest one to respond to the call and got it first. And he picks her up. They start driving. He tries to relate to her like, oh, I saw what you had to say. I really get that, you know, and she realizes that it's him and realizes he is not going to take her to her place. And Kurt says, I'm all about love now. That's what it is, man. So yeah, we'll do that. We'll, we'll make the content, you know, we'll make a sex tape. And Jesse says, um, uh, no, no, thank you. And it's clear Kurt has no concern for her consent in any of this. Or even for sex in general, he is focused on the mission of followers because he suddenly gets, wait, you have followers and I have followers. I have viewers now. Imagine the viewership that we would get if we were to combine our forces. Let's make a sex tape. She's like, no, pass. Although it's also great, the lead in where she's like, where are you going? I'm taking you home. This this isn't the way to my house, Kurt. Oh, no, not your home, my home. Oh, and Joe Keery has such a great, intense look when he says that, like, no, 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 not, not your home, my home. Yeah. You're like, oh, my shit, home. yeah, because he's gotten this new idea. Right? He's an mm. ideas guy. He's full of ideas. And if only people would just log on and watch his ideas. But people are watching right now. Yeah. To him, his idea is make a sex tape. The reality is his idea is to sexually assault this woman. Six dozen of one, you know, like whatever in Kurt's mind. But like, I don't even think Kurt understands sexual assault. He doesn't understand sex. It's like a whole weird thing. Like, this is another level of like weirdness. He's just pure psychotic. And she goes to counterattack. She has the charger because always be charging, right? We set that shit up. She strangles him. He veers around a little bit, but eventually gets the one up punches her this is another part where the director's like hey we put this in here so that you really know like he is the monster we want him mm-hmm. to die and i'm like yeah the punch was super weak like i'm <laughs> i think it's because i'm so used to steve harrington trying to punch shit and failing and then finally succeeding once where it's this whole running gag where mm-hmm. steve harrington just constantly gets his ass kicked and he can't throw a punch that suddenly this guy throws a punch and it's even weaker than anything Steve Harrington has ever done. It's coming from a weird angle from the front seat. I'm like, that knocked her out? Really? It's my one like strangely improbable moment in the entire movie. It's like, <laughs> that seemed like a weird knockout hit. But I guess if he hit her just right, I don't know. Maybe he knows his anatomical Pressure punching points. tactics. Because, yeah. you know, he has time on his hands. But she eventually ends up on the ground, the grass outside of his car. Mm-hmm. And he pulls out his little streaming app and types in a poll for his viewers fuck marry or kill what should i do with jesse should it be fuck marry or kill which is such a delightfully fucked up twist on the fuck marry kill game because generally you pick three people and you assign one of each role this is just one person and we're just picking one of the things to do (laughs) the internet culture being what it is kill wins out by far yeah yeah, I love there's even a commenter that says, that's not how you play fuck, marry, kill, dude. But kill wins. So Kurt decides, well, I'm going to have to kill her now. 
Yeah, because he was right all along. Like, he knew yep. that this is what viewers wanted to see, and people are finally watching him kill people. So he's like, I got you. I'm, I'm on this. into that. And here is where I'll bring up the last aspect of Marshall McLuhan that I discovered <laughs> in my week-long sojourn into the mind of the McLuhan. And that is something that was actually from a book published after his death, this notion called the Tetrad of Media Effects. And this is something that you do to work out what effect a medium is going to have on society or on a small group of people or just one person. To understand its effect, you ask four questions. One, what does this medium in question enhance? Two, what does the medium make obsolete? Three, what does the medium retrieve that had been obsolesced before or had previously been obsolete? Four, finally, what does the medium reverse or flip when pushed to its extremes? And the example in the book that this was published is radio. And so for radio, you would say, what does radio enhance? It enhances music, talk shows, news via sound. What does uh, the media make obsolete? Radio pushes printed news and word of mouth news into obsolescence. What does the media retrieve? Radio retrieves the importance of the spoken word. And what does it reverse or flip when pushed to its extremes? Well, eventually... Radio waves, when you push more and more information through them, eventually you get to visual signals, which gets you to television, so it evolves into television. So that's the example of the tetrad when applied to radio. And I was thinking, how would you apply this to that tetrad of media effects that McLuhan talked about? And I began to think of something that I noticed that kept popping up in interviews and lectures I saw of McLuhan online. Multiple times, when people ask McLuhan, television has taken over our lives, but what's the next thing? What's going to be the next thing to take over our lives? And on multiple occasions, McLuhan said, the hologram. Oh, uh, yes, the hologram. The hologram. And he wouldn't really elaborate on what he meant by the hologram, except to say that the hologram will be a thing that unlike television, which is just one little box in one section of the room that takes up a little bit of your vision, the hologram is all around you and you interact with it and it is always there everywhere taking up your vision and your feeling of touch. So I'm not really too sure what technology he was thinking was going to become the hologram, but it got me thinking, could that be applied here? Could the hologram, in a strange way, be what the world has become to Kurt, which is a thing he interacts with only for the sake of achieving views and getting people's attention? So, I'm extrapolating a lot here, but as I noticed, McLuhan himself extrapolated a whole lot in a lot of his work, so, you know, I'm just going to go with it. But let's say that what Kurt is experiencing right now, having to respond to commenters, is an interactive hologram. How would the tetrad of media effects be applied to the interactive hologram? So what does it enhance? Well, it enhances Kurt's need to take part in society and pop culture. He probably would not be going out or doing anything if he did not want attention or views. So it enhances that, his need to interact with society. What does it make obsolete? It can make familiar bonds obsolete because Kurt's relationship to his family does not in any way affect his views or his attention that he gets from social media. That's why he often has no relationship with his father, because his father does not enhance his social media presence. What does this interactive hologram retrieve that had been obsolete before? You could say that it retrieves Kurt's sense of self-worth. 
sense being watch is the only method of validation that Kurt understands? And then finally, what does the medium reverse or flip when pushed to its extremes? And this is what I thought maybe could be the most interesting aspect of it, that when pushed to its extreme, like it is here, it makes acts of violence and eroticism, murder and intercourse, which he's down to do both of those, purely performative acts. Kurt does not want to kill or fuck this woman out of any personal motivation or any personal desire, but only for the sake of his viewers. And in this moment, he is ready to kill Jesse only because more people voted for that. So what it pushes to an extreme is that it makes the world an entirely performative space for Kurtz. And that's why I began to call the interactive hologram that McLuhan may have been referring to, a thing that is always around your vision that you interact with all the time that takes up all of your senses. Yeah, no, that is kind of a cool interpretation of the hologram. I like it because traditionally, previous interpretations of McLuhan's hologram stuff comes out looking a little bit more like the holodeck from Star Trek. Yeah. Or <laughs> from Jason X, <laughs> Jason movie in space. Uh, that classic, There yeah. is some sort of space that has three-dimensional animation that you go to and you're just surrounded by the artifice of mm. your environment and lose track in some ways of the difference between the artificial construction and the real construction or that it doesn't matter between the artifice or the real because the artifice is just as tangible or sensory in some mm -hmm. way. But this flips that a little bit, and maybe that is what reality TV and streaming does in general, in that it says, okay, maybe the hologram isn't a designated holodeck space. Maybe it's actually creating what is the tangible world and making that somehow fake or false, that it creates artifice out of what is already real and around us mm -hmm. and devalues a little bit of the substance that would otherwise be real and creates a hologram out of substance. So that is kind of like a cool like inverse of yeah. the possible expectation from 1960s and 70s sci-fi writers of where the hologram was going to go. This idea that we can construct reality out of something synthetic. But I do like this idea of creating something synthetic out of reality. Mm -hmm. And yeah, maybe that is what reality and streaming does, because he certainly does not seem in touch with the world anymore. This is all just one big performative space for mm -hmm. him. He is so busy focused on his little poll as to what to do next that he doesn't notice that Jesse has already gotten up and left. <laughs> so she's no longer on the ground. And yeah. he's like, oh, shit. So he gets out of the car to check it out. And my favorite comment from any of the commenters <laughs> is, can't believe you got out of the car, bro. What a fucking dumbass. <laughs> so great. I was like, all right. Oh. But yeah, he gets out of the car. Jesse sneaks back into the car and then it is a new car chase with mm -hmm. Kurt on the run. Although oh, he yeah. does not run or react until his streaming viewers tip him and tell him, run. <laughs> so, Oh, man. Once again, yeah, he's just a performance puppet at this point. He starts running, and he is near to his parents' house, because he did tell her he was taking her to his house. So they're nearby. He runs into the house. She follows right after in the car, smashes through that wall, and suddenly we're on a set in Skid Row instead of the actual house anymore. But it's a really nice transition scene. Mm -hmm. Nicely done. 
David Arquette is there hanging out. He's former heavyweight champion of the world, David Arquette. Yes, Show some respect, my apologies. London. Former heavyweight champion of the world, David Arquette, All is right. hanging out in the living room, high on heroin. Like you expect <laughs> Kurt to come around the door, but instead, no, he's just there about to shoot up. We do get this slightly built in, but I had totally missed it. That earlier in the movie, he mentions that he found a bag at the mother's house that he wants to go back for earlier on in an early conversation. Oh, okay. Also, what I never put together, but the director filled in for me in the commentary, is that because Uno never showed back up to the club to actually participate in the set, his set did not go well, and now he has to drown that failure sorrow with uh, some of the heroin that he had mentioned at the beginning of the movie still Mm -hmm. being at the mother's slash his ex-wife's house. But as he's shooting up, and a little bit out of it, he encounters this scene. He's like, what the fuck is going on? But then he also rounds the corner, and Kurt's mom is totally dead, lying on the floor. Jeez. And then he's like, did you do this? Cut back to that earlier scene where mm-hmm. Kurt is shutting his trunk, and his mom calls him from the house. And he's like, oh, yeah, I almost forgot. Coming mom runs back into the house. That's the moment where he killed her. We were watching him go and do his first kill and we didn't even know yeah because once again if it's not streamed then it didn't happen if it's not a message delivered mm. through the medium that we have come to accept as the one true source of reality it didn't happen and so it didn't happen until this very moment until it's being streamed in front of us then we realize the reality of the situation it's hinted at in a very mysterious way earlier when kurt is at the car wash on the phone with bobby he tells bobby Come on, how am I not getting views? I've had seven kills so far, but we've only seen six kills Uh, up to that point. So, yeah. So, there we go. But he didn't stream that one, so it doesn't count. If you're paying attention and keeping score, you think, wait a minute, well, how are we at seven? That doesn't really make sense. But, yes, the car crashes in. Former heavyweight champion of the world, David Arquette, comes out. Kurtz shoots him. Yeah, with his gun three times. It's a triple kill shot. And that's also remarked on by the viewers like, whoa, three, three kill shots, exclamation point. But that's important because now Kurt's out of bullets. So when Jesse tries to ram his skinny little self into a wall with the car, he tries to shoot her, but he can't because he's all out of bullets. Mm -hmm. And this is not a movie. This is reality. This is reality streaming and bullets are not endless. Well, he did try to attack her in the car when she first crashed in, but because of Chekhov's crystal, which was hanging from the rearview mirror of that thing, she was able to stab him in the face and fight him off. Yes, because you do not hang a crystal from the dashboard of your spree compact sedan if you do not intend to use exactly. that hanging dashboard crystal in the third act. Boom. But that Chekhov's crystal, it pays off. Yes, it does. Sort of, I guess. I don't <laughs> I know. Very quick, whatever moment. But yeah, she rams his body into the wall and he's still not quite dead yet. He's like, I'm not dead yet. So she beats him <laughs> to death with a cell phone. With his own phone. Yeah. Yeah. And that came from somebody on set. The director mentioned, just kind of mentioned offhand, like as a joke, like oh, she should beat him to death with a phone. He's like, yes, yes, she should. She should. So, and she will. Yeah. yeah, she does. And then she picks up the phone afterwards, notices that it's live streaming. She's like, the fuck guys like this isn't cool (laughs) and they're like hey girl like somebody tips her and says take a selfie yolo (laughs) so she's like okay fuck it and so she picks up his limp head and it's all bloody and she's all bloody and she smiles with him and she takes a selfie and uh we get 
the outro. And this outro is this great. Is, uh, this is a thing of genius that we get here. Because first of all, Jessie, her career takes off after this, even though one of the big things of her comedy set had been deciding, I'm not going to be on social media anymore. Fuck social media. Fuck my phone. She breaks her phone. So she's done with trying to appease the viewers. But she also didn't have as many viewers as she does now after being involved <laughs> in this murder case. And so suddenly she's getting written up in magazines. She's getting TV spot specials. And she's like, you know how I said that I'm not doing social media anymore? I mean, like, now I have a lot of followers. So, <laughs> hey, I'm back. I'm back and I'm going to use this. Mm -hmm. So we have her just returning and using Kurt's stream and death to kind of get a leg up there and sort of be our final girl and prevail. And then we have Kurt, who finally gets what he wants in some ways, because his videos, they get first preserved on Kurt's world, and then a subreddit opens up for Kurt's videos, and then a 4chan, and it, we're just getting this compilation of screens that are going into deeper, deeper dives and levels of preservation of Kurt's videos and his message and people commenting on them. And he becomes this certain sort of popular anti-hero figure on some of these subreddits and these 4chan spaces. And then one user says, hey, I compiled all of <laughs> the best moments of Kurt's this is, oh, yeah. 24 hour stream with all this other found stuff that I could find on it. I compiled it into a movie. I'm calling it Spree, like access it here and posts the link. Then it clicks on it and it opens to our Spree title card and outro. And that is the movie we have been watching is from a diehard 4chan fan that compiled the best of and did an excellent job of editing together the stuff. I love that. Just perfect to me. Like that we get the explanation. Like I said, most found footage movies do not explain why the edit happens the way that it does. But this one, it's a perfect explanation. The edit happened the way it did because someone wanted to edit all this together in the most badass way possible. So you could almost make the claim that the reason, perhaps, that Kurt is not as big of a monster as he should be for most of the movie is that this was edited by someone on 4chan who most likely sympathized with them. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. The little Kurt's world messiah of sorts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, uh, boy, a lot of uh, videos of a killer being edited together in a sympathetic way. I mean, that seems pretty far-fetched, though, right? Yeah, so let's get back to uh, Elliot Rogers. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so Elliot Rogers, as I mentioned towards the beginning, there was this very particular moment in reporting things like spree killings that really focused on trying to erase the name or not focus on the name of the perpetrator. And there was this discussion that 
access to Elliot Rogers' videos would possibly inspire more spree killings. There was one dude that did go on a spree kill and said he was doing it in the name of, you know, uh, Elliot Rogers. Yeah. But, I mean, that's an entirely different debate as to whether or not that blame should be put on Elliot Rogers, because in some ways one could argue that people are largely responsible or should be responsible for their own actions. But mm -hmm. it was... One might say a slight curious reaction to try to eradicate all of his videos. Because one of the things, the negative things that comes from that is that when movies like this come out, the amount of feedback that were on the negative camp that just couldn't really understand this particular type of satire, which they saw as overkill in some ways, or unbelievable, or not quite on the pulse of culture. It's like, I think what you're missing here is you're missing a bunch of people that did just this. Like a lot of these are just recreated Elliot Rogers videos. So this is not somehow some sort of exaggeration. Like this is just Elliot Rogers. It's a much more charismatic version of Elliot Rogers. And he's doing it for a much more universally understood motivation in a social media saturated world. But the behaviorisms and the crimes, they're actually less horrific than what Elliot Rogers did. And so that erasure of things that have happened historically, mm -hmm. there is something that kind of sits wrong with me with that. Like I get putting victims first, but I yeah. also find a little bit of a problem with just erasing the bad parts of history because then we can't learn from them. Right. Then we can't grow yeah. from them. Then we forget that this is a problem that's out there. Mm -hmm. Especially since watching the Elliot Rogers videos, yeah, there might be people who read into them and hear like, yeah, these are my words and I'm empowered by them. But there also are people who watch them and go like, holy shit, there are people out there that think this way about women mm -hmm. and about people. Like, I think it's also helpful to see that type yeah, of yeah. speech and aggression out there and say like, no, this exists. So yeah, I'm not a fan of erasing his videos for a lot of reasons that I think are kind of educationally important. Also, just the truth in this movie is that somehow the one place that they would be able to find Kurt's world videos still is on 4chan and subreddit pages <laughs> because most of his videos have been deleted from YouTube. Like they don't seem to be at first. You go on YouTube and there's a lot of thumbnails that look like they're gonna be his videos, but then it's just news stories talking about the crime, but we don't see any of the actual videos in those you know, overall actual compilations. So in order to find them, it's the subreddit in the 4chan archives where they exist. <laughs> and so that was kind of interesting and it really reaffirmed for me, no, this is a very realistic representation of what would happen because mm -hmm. that is the preservation archives. And there was someone who, not necessarily out of a deifying way, but there was a compilation I was able to find of a user who had done what they could to composite all the material that they could find and turn it into kind of the Elliot Rogers movie. It's not as well edited or compiled as this professionally put together spree film. Right, like that's yeah. the thing that's incredible because it's like, wow, whoever edited this, like you should- uh, You should like be an editor. You, sh you should be an editor in Hollywood <laughs> because you know, it, it is an editor in Hollywood. <laughs> but yeah, there is an Elliot Rogers compiled movie video. There are still his videos that are out there and there is still his manifesto that's out there. But 
largely those are preserved in 4chan and subreddit spaces. So that was my deep dive, was just uh, going on all these 4chan sites, trying to be like, hey, does damn. anybody have Elliot Rogers videos that uh, you could send me? Because, you know, I really want to watch that dude just uh, talk about how he wants to kill women. Like, it's, it's what I want to do with my afternoon, you know? Do me a favor, send me those my way. Who is this 4chan person? Who are they? I just remember there was some news story about 4chan from a very clueless anchor who asked that question. Who is this 4chan person? Uh, <laughs> a good question indeed. Yeah, a I forget what that was. Sorts. People, if you know what I'm talking about, leave a comment on the things. We have multiple things. Follow we got for the, follow, man. Follow for follow, man. You know, we got the Twitter, we got the Instagram, I got the subreddit. What more do people want? For God's sakes. Yeah, I think that is like one of the things too that was interesting that I wonder if I would have taken this movie differently if I wasn't somebody who was participating in creating content and putting it out there, right? Because there is something kind of universally touching about the struggle to just be heard or it takes a lot mm-hmm. of work to put yourself out there. So I kind of get him that, like, you know, he just wants to be acknowledged for the work that he's putting in. Like, I get you, man. I don't know. Reality check. We got to all keep it contained. Don't yeah. go out and just spree kill people for... Uh. The views, <laughs> the, but it worked at the same time. So maybe we just need to start slaughtering people on air. You know, maybe that's the takeaway. I, I don't know. It's an ambiguous message, really, all around. The medium is the message, but the message is ambiguous. Top five. Top five. <laughs> My honorable mention will go out to the former heavyweight champion of the world, David Arquette. I like what he does in this movie. It's fun. Hadn't heard that thing about how he said that. Oh my god, I think my whole life has been a cringe compilation. That's. <laughs> That's cute. He always came off as a strangely quirky fellow on all of his interviews, even back in the day during the Scream days. Number five, just goes out to all the tech in this movie, be that the cameras or the phones or the, well, everything else, I suppose. But the way that it was all utilized was very satisfying to me to see it used as it would be in real life with a few cheated moments that I completely understand. Yeah, my number five goes out to all the people who let themselves look like assholes in this. (laughs) And that we're playing thinly versions of themselves. Super fun that all of them were self-aware enough to know Mm -hmm. their role within the streaming stratosphere, including David Arquette, that he also allowed himself to kind of come on looking like the cringe compilation that he identifies with. Unfortunately, I'm also going to have to do something which I never thought I would and throw out an honorable mention to subreddits and 4chan for actually <laughs> preserving the Elliot Rogers videos because, oh, yeah, that's how yeah. I was able to see. I also just don't like when information is suppressed from my ability to access it. Mm-hmm. Like when it affects me, that's, that's generally my <laughs> whole thing. When anything affects me, then I care. And If I can't access something that I want to access, it's the very principle of that restriction that I just cannot abide. And it's really just tragic to me that, like, yeah, honorable mention to the people who preserve the content, I guess, so that I could access it. You hear that, Fortune? London sees your value now. Yeah. There you go. I mean, I once again, anthropologists and me, I find a lot of different subgroups really fascinating. The medium by and of itself, like 4chan and subreddits in and of themselves, like are not necessarily the, the technology problem. It's just, yeah, some of the things that are cultivated in those spaces. I never thought I'd go on really long deep dives down. Like me spending lots of hours in insult chat rooms was not what I anticipated doing with my Thursday. But, you know, we all find ourselves in odd places sometimes. My number four, our female comedian, 
Sashiro's is Mita. My apologies if I got that wrong. But I like how much of herself that she put into this. I saw some interviews with her and the director where he explained that, yeah, the part is written, he wrote the part as the, the dialogue, but very much understood that writing a, a female comedian of color and then having an actual female comedian of color play that role, you really should let the real person bring a lot of themselves into the role to enhance it and to make it a bit more authentic. And that's what the character is all about, authenticity. So I really like everything that she was doing for that. So my number four is the director. I really enjoyed his commentary. He was super chill. Mm -hmm. He was very nice and relaxed and really stood by this movie. And his very first film, Zeros and Ones, does a very similar <laughs> thing where it tells the entire mm -hmm. story through computer screens. So this seems to be a thing that he is all about is just how uh. can we tell stories differently from different angles and from different mediums and sources of technology. So that's really cool that that's like his thing. The medium is the message. That's that's his deal. Mm -hmm. Who's your number three? My number three is the editing. The editor, Ben Moses Smith. I love how they're able to sync everything up in such a great way. And a lot of that comes from filming things at the exact same time, but also just knowing how long to, to keep each of those bits going is very vital. And I love the pace it kept going through the entire movie. My number three is the camera work and okay. the lights. Pretty much anything to do with cameras and lighting in this movie. I have never seen a found footage film lit so well. Those LED lights inside the car, especially mm -hmm. since they changed lights and added this kind of neon feel. We get a lot of just bright, clear, crisp stuff coming at us, which is not expected from found footage stuff <laughs> at all. So this whole thing is just really lit beautifully. And I'm also enamored with the camera work on this in terms of the cameras that they used. They used mm. so many different cameras. The count that I was able to come up to is like 17 different types of cameras. Mm. I don't know if I'm missing some because I didn't look that up. I was just counting as I went in terms of just the types of cameras that they were using. And that's incredible to me. I love the way that the camera mounts that they had in the car had that slight fisheye lens mm -hmm. that made everything just look a little bit endearing and weird and wacky when Joe Keery would really push his face up into them and we'd get that bend of space. Yeah. Also really interesting to put something with a minor fisheye lens inside of a car space. So spatially, it was all just very interesting, but really created what should have otherwise felt very claustrophobic in a car because they were using those very wide lenses with the slight curvature. We get so much more of the car than we otherwise should have. And that creates less of a claustrophobic feel inside of this vehicle. I never felt claustrophobic. I never felt motion sick. And that is really cool very well done there and then just the difference between the ig streams and the gopros and the sony dslrs like it was all just super fun to just see the slight variation in the type of color that came through on those screens and the type of temperature so yeah who's your number two number two is our boy joe kiri such a lovable killer i really feel like he did a great job of making kurt sympathetic up to a certain point in the movie and then kind of went full psycho look with his eyes at the right times throughout the film and that's a difficult thing to do it's a subtle thing and not a lot of actors can do that thank you joe 
and I'm sorry I didn't recognize you because your hair was different. It's probably good. Probably likes not being recognized from Stranger Things exclusively. So oh, yeah, that's fair. All right, my number two is Ben Moses Smith, the editor. All right. Incredible job. Mm-hmm. Like, holy shit. So let's think for a second about the scope of all of those cameras I just went on about and how great they were. Those were all rolling at all times. So a standard film editor, they get, you know, your main camera and generally like a B camera or whatever from your shooting. Mm-hmm. Now, this editor had at his disposal eight cameras inside the car that are rolling at all times for all scenes. He has generally the cell phone that is also recording at all times. So bare minimum, he has nine different angles to work with for any scene in this movie. And then on top of that, he's compiling in other people's cell phone footage, sometimes going side by side with the external cams from the garages or the body cams. The taco scene, for example, had 47 different distinct camera angles Jesus. that he got to pick from okay. to make that scene. Wow. Insane. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, because, I mean, those cameras were up. They just rolled them at all times. We got a sense of that at the very beginning where Kurt showed us all of those camera angles side by side in a grid and was like, hey, subscribe to my Patreon and you can click and choose the angle. I mean... Ben Moses Smith, he had all of those angles at his disposal, and mm-hmm. he compiled this movie from all of those angles. And he did it with just the right amount of keeping the visuals variant, but amazing eyeline tracing all the way through. I love a good attention to eyeline trace. If you ever want a terrible example of eyeline trace, watch the Suicide Squad trailer. Like, I mean, the Suicide <laughs> Squad movie in general, but Suicide Squad trailer, try watching that and just... Be consciously aware of every time your eyes have to rapidly move to a different part of the screen to see where the next cut appears. And I've actually, I've taught the suicide trailer in my film classes when I teach editing courses. Mm -hmm. It's my standard go-to of like, don't do this. (laughs) Just don't do this. And so, yeah, this one is great with the eyeline tracing. It's what helps keep this like feel steady. This thing's constantly in motion. It's constantly changing, but like it feels seamless. Yeah. So, I've often heard a really job. great example of eye tracing is Mad Max Fury Road, where a lot of the action is always in the center of the frame, despite how fast it might be cutting around. Mm-hmm. Often whatever it is that needs to be our center of attention is smack dab in the middle of the frame. Yeah. Fight Club is also really oh, great okay. yeah. with it. It does some kind of cool stuff. Like when it breaks the eyeline trace, it does it on purpose. But I will go on about that at length if we ever do Fight Club. Because editing and eyeline tracing is all what Fight Club is about for me. It completely revolutionized editing in Hollywood. I'll throw that down. I believe you when you say that you can go on at length. You know, I. Who's your number one? My number one is a tie for between director Eugene, name that you said earlier. And our cinematographer, director of photography, Jeff Leeds Cohn. Because both of these men, their visions came together. I mean, this is mostly, I'm sure, Eugene's vision from the start. But Jeff Leeds Cohn is putting everything together. It's interesting to think of a director of photography in a movie like this. Because you think, well, the cameras are all, they're all set up. No one's operating the cameras except for the actors. But I guarantee you that... The cinematographer went through every single camera in this thing, meticulously worked out what settings they needed to be at for each individual scene and set them up and had to walk away and make sure that he just got all of his settings correct for each of the scenes in this movie, whether it be those GoPros 
or really setting the exposures on all of the camera phones that were being used throughout this thing. And like I said, he shares this number one spot with Eugene for putting all this together for, as you said, taking inspiration from what is a very dark and disturbing story and using that to create this otherworldly tale that we get in his final movie. My number one, Joe Keery. Well, of course. You God damn, is he awesome in this. Gotta put Steve up there. He's so good. (laughs) Like, especially watching all of the extra video uploads, like his his Kurtz World streams. And in the beginning, when he's telling his little life story and those little whiteboards that are getting drawn out, like he actually drew all of those. So they didn't have somebody else come in and do it while Mm -hmm. he was narrating. Like he just sat down and he was drawing his little stick figures about his life and narrating it at the same time. So these are all just like very homebrew improv and he embodies this character. Yeah, it's just like he just perfectly nails this character and seeing as how he's done other things like this is just it's acting, but it's a very natural acting. You've mentioned before how it always unsettles you a little bit to watch somebody like Leonardo DiCaprio act because you're always very aware of him acting like you Mm -hmm. can just feel him acting like he delivers the performance, but he's acting. Joe Curie is just such a natural at just embodying a character, mm-hmm. and I don't feel the acting at all. It's just yeah. he is that person on screen for an hour and a half, and then that character goes away. But mm-hmm. yeah, just, just really well done. So, yes. All right. That is Spree. That is that extravaganza of oh, a boy. wild fun time, fun <laughs> satire. <laughs> The only thing that's just weird is that he's so charismatic, but then again, you kind of can't really sustain a movie without a charismatic lead to hold it through all the way through. So I don't know what else you're going to do. I guess as we say for it out here, we're just going to have to accept the fact that this, this movie and this character is just kind of ultimately lovable. <laughs> They're going to put me in the movies. They're gonna make a big star out of me We'll make a film about a man that's sad and lonely And all I gotta do is act naturally Well, I'll bet you I'm gonna be a big star Might win an Oscar, you can't ever tell Movie's gonna make me a big star Cause I can play the part so well Well, I hope you come see me in the movie But then I know that you will plain to see I'll play the part, but I won't need rehearsing All I'll have to do is act naturally I'm escaping to the one place that hasn't been corrupted by capitalism. Space!